G'day everyone and welcome to the Australian Herpetoculture Podcast. I'm your host Jason. And I'm your co-host Luke. How you going buddy? Yeah, good dude, good dude. I was waiting for you to right. jump in there, get it right <laughs> two weeks in a row. Yep, we're, we're, on, we're on track now, so. <laughs> Starting to gear it up. That's it. How you been mate? You started that background yet? Finally. Yeah. Started carving some foam today and the little fella thought he'd give me a hand and then didn't want to get out of the enclosure, so. <laughs> well, told me big. to shut the door on him. <laughs> <laughs> it's big enough he could probably stay in there for a while. Yeah, you don't realize how big it is until it got in. I was like, far out. It's actually quite big, so. <laughs> pretty cool, that's for sure. Yours is coming along pretty good, so. Yeah, yep. Uh, it's the all the tile pointing's done now. I've done, I'll call it three and a half coats. I've done three main coats and then another extra half a coat over the expanding foam areas of it and yeah, probably wait another day or two and then start whacking some colored paints and stuff onto it. So that, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's that's what I'm looking forward to the next couple of days. So keen to, keen to finish it so I can get these voids in there. So <laughs> yeah, Good fun, good fun. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I'm not going to yarn on too much about our stuff because we've got some really nah. exciting guests on this afternoon or tonight rather. So uh, I'm going to introduce both Andrew and Terence Rogers. Hey, guys, how you going? G'day. G'day. Good, thanks. Good. G'day, g'day. Hello, Thank hello. you for coming on tonight. So uh, oh, no for, for those of you for those of you that don't know uh, Andrew and Terence, um, it's a father and son duo we got on, Andrew's uh, Terence's father, and these guys are absolutely Australian turtle mad. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about some Aussie turtles tonight, which should be some good fun. Um, Pretty I keep, keen for this one. I keep a couple of turtles, but nothing to the extent that these guys have. These guys have some pretty extravagant ponds and bits and pieces around the place. And uh, you, you've never kept turtles, have you, Jase? Never. No, never. I've always wanted to, but, yeah, just something I've never really had the space. So Your life is about oh, to change just now. <laughs> oh, I'm, oh, I'm, I really want to. Once I, yeah, I'm, I'm probably in a better spot now. But, yeah, my wife and kids all love turtles. My son's obsessed with turtles, so... You know, this this could be dangerous, this podcast. <laughs> so, To give you guys a bit of an idea, Jason's been like, you know, this is the limited amount of species that I want to keep. And Jace this week's been messaging me with some other species that weren't on that limited list going, hey, yeah, maybe, maybe I could keep my eyes out for some rough scale pythons. Maybe I could get yeah. some Kimberly rock monitors. And uh, yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to tag some turtles onto the end of that list. Already. Yeah. 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 More so, than likely. We've got a nice spot out the front for a pond, so my wife's always wanted turtles out there, so it could it could be a go, I reckon. That's a shoe in then. Yep. That's not yep. even a question. That's you just start digging a hole. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well uh we're gonna start off with some questions and as we said earlier, you know. Just run with it. If you think of anything you want to talk about, you know, just absolutely go go bananas with it because uh, you guys are both a wealth of knowledge. So we'll, uh, we'll let you get to it. Has Andrew disappeared? Yeah, he's disappeared and he's back now. <laughs> <laughs> Got no, the stage good. right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So, uh, Andrew, can you give us a bit of a rundown as to what got you into reptiles? Uh, I was... I've always found them fascinating. I, when, I, well, when I was a kid, uh, I used to go up. I remember going up a few times to Eric Worrell's Reptile Park, you know, which is Australian Reptile Park at Goss, at Summersby there. 
it was in a different place then, but I used to go out there and I was fascinated by everything that was there. You know, I was only a little kid. I remember the big dinosaur out the front and all sorts, you know, the milking, the lady. There was a lady who used to do the milking. Eric Worrell used to do it, but the lady used to do milking the snakes and I just, I don't think it was a big show sort of thing then, but it was, um, it was just fascinating. I was enthralled by that, but didn't keep any reptiles. It wasn't really sort of the thing at home, I suppose. You know, yeah. cat. I was about it pretty much. I did find a turtle. The first turtle encounter was um, at primary school, uh, going to going to school on the dusty. There's a footpath there now. I'm talking. <laughs> I'm talking uh, early 70s, so it's a long while ago. Um, and there's a, a turtle, dusty looking, just dirt, sort of dry, middle of summer. And there's a turtle scurrying along on the footpath on the side of the road. And um, on the uh, dirt, sort of you know, the track off the side of the road, and I, I picked it up. It was a little long, eastern long. I didn't have a clue what turtles, they're just turtles to me then. And um, I was, yeah, I would have been probably 10 or something, eight eight or nine or ten and then I didn't know what to do with it because I was walking to school and then uh, some big boys came past who were walking to going to high school and a couple of them saw that I had this turtle and they said I said I don't know what to do with it I didn't have time to run home and leave it at home and one of them said I'll, I'll look after it for you and I'll meet you here in the afternoon <laughs> which I had a turtle in, I had a turtle for all of about five minutes, I think. Um, so that was my first experience. <laughs> but um, and uh, no, you know, you could just sort of pick up anything. Well, uh, when when I did start, it was when Terence was a baby. He was only little and picked a turtle up off the road roadside up near Inverell, uh, near a place called Kingstown on the uh, dirt road going up into Inverell from Tamworth to Inverell, and um, and took it home. And uh, found out that was just after licensing had started. So I didn't know anything about it. And I didn't have the internet. I didn't have anything. So it took a long while to find out that I did something uh, bad. But um, uh, and then I think I think everyone did that though. Oh yeah, yeah. That's how most people keeping turtles started off. I think <laughs> there's yep. something yep. nice about it, but you can see why. <laughs> yeah, yep, definitely. Be happening too. Um, and something a bit innocent about it too, and not. I mean, I was an adult, but when you're kids, you get those things. But you end up the trouble is you end up mistreating them, really thinking you're doing the right thing and, and mis- mistreating them, unfortunately. But uh, so yeah, that was the that was the first experience, and then uh, that escaped because <laughs> you didn't know how to look after it. <laughs> and then I was sort of done. Terence was too little to really know much about. I don't know. You, you wouldn't remember it, were you? Only a couple years old. Uh, not really. Turning. 24 next week <laughs> this week um but uh so yeah it was it was uh that was the start of it and it just grew very slowly but slowly and steadily from there at a bit of a turtle's pace then yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm practicing my dad jokes yeah. <laughs> um Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, I mean, it does it does kind of start like that for everyone. I think I've told the story before where I kind of started off with a with a gecko, you know, and it was just an Asian house gecko that was running around in the apartment or whatever <laughs> and decided that I'd keep, keep, keep that for a while and then realised yeah. that it was non-native and you needed licences and all the rest of it yeah, and blah, 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 yeah. blah. Yeah. I think it's just uh, one of those learning curves. 
So I'm probably um, one yeah. of the only people that got into it and realizing there was a license when because my mate got the license first. So yeah, you know, I yeah. was the one that odd ones oh, yeah. out. What what was it like getting into the hobby when it was a little bit less mainstream? You know, it's pretty popular these days, and especially the turtle hobby. I think I think even the turtle side's still a little bit almost underground to an extent when you compare it to Mm. other things like dragons and monitors and pythons and the rest of it. Mm. Yeah, well, for me, it was um, Terence sort of didn't have any choice, but (laughs) probably. um, I'll tell you about that in a minute, but yeah, at that time. Oh look, it was just hard to get information. I, I don't, I don't remember having email or internet at that time. Uh, I don't remember, you know. And if I did, I probably didn't have enough, didn't have enough money to uh, pay the amount of time you needed to go on the internet because it was all a bit, a bit <laughs> like that. Then you know, you like it was cost you a few bucks a minute or something. But um, it, yeah, I think yeah. Look, it was just hard to get information. I looked for books started reading, you know, you make a lot of mistakes early on and I've, that, that's, you know, I, I hope people can learn from my mistakes because I've made plenty um, and that's what you do. You talk to other people. You know, I've talked to hundreds of people now uh, with, well, dozens with more experience than me, still in contact with them and, and been out longer and you learn something uh, all the time from those people. Yeah. It would have been hard to try and find, even find species you were after or information on how to care for them back then. There's a lot more species now than there was then. The turtles were there. <laughs> yeah, they that's just true. Weren't, they just weren't named. They weren't yep. known about or, um, well, sometimes they were known, but they just, nobody knew how to differentiate, you know, just even on morphological grounds. They're just like, you know, it's got a shell and four legs and a head, you know, it's, and it's they're sort of a little bit similar but until... You know, like the people like John Can came along and um, some other Aussies and, and some American guys too who were involved, uh, American guys, well, mm. German guys, you know, old days of Germans and pommies also, mm. not pommies, English, sorry, not used <laughs> derogatory terms. Um, uh, yeah, that's so, oh, it's all. I think early on as well we, we met a few people who kept quite a few turtles, like a good friend of ours, Michael, who... Who, um, who had a lot of turtles at the time and, and then we sort of learnt off him, more so dad. Um, but I remember when I was younger, I'd hear these names of turtles and things. I'd try and look them up and stuff, but I never really took it all in or understood that much. I guess when I, when I was about maybe 10, 12, 13 years old, something around then, I remember sitting on the computer and I, we had the old little tiny little square computers and what the big pages or whatever the the old places were, and I'd I'd sit on that and just scroll through every single ad. And when there'd be a turtle ad, I'd mark a little notch with a pencil on the side of the computer and just like keep it there to, for when Dad got home from work or something. <laughs> and I'd just show him, oh, "Can we get these? Can we get these?" And then no, I'd have like multiple notches down just so I could scroll back down to the spot on the. He still does it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. what what was it like kind of growing up with, you know, a, a parent that was right into reptiles? Because, you know, if it was at a pretty young age when it sounds like, you, you know, you were at a yeah. young age when your dad got into it, like you would have yeah. been surrounded by this by the get-go by the sounds of it. Well, that's it. And I, th- I think I, 
always took a little bit more of an interest than my sister at the time. And my brother was born heaps later on and he's never really taken an interest. But I always I always liked them and I always liked animals, I think. Um, so I just or I, I guess I never real I liked them for what they were at the time. I never really took that uh, real interest in turtles and reptiles all that much till I was maybe 14, 15 and then I like maybe 13, 14, 15 and then I had, a, I had a mate who liked reptiles a little bit and then then I would get into it a bit more and I start reading a bit more and things but yeah and it just sort of I guess went up from there. I'll take him out of the back and belt him till he became interested. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, let's go. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you, you guys have a um, pretty serious collection there now. Ter- Terence, you're also studying, aren't you? Yes, I am. I, uh, I'm not actually studying animal-based things. I'm looking at uh, uh, blue-green algae, which is cyanobacteria. Yep. Um so I'm looking at uh, the cyanobacterial blooms that happen in the Murray River in uh, in Australia that are that can cause different problems to to livestock, to humans, things like that. The the death of algae and blue green algae leads to not only blackwater events which kill fish and things like that, but and turtles as well. But um, but also it can affect livestock because they can algae when they die can tr- produce toxins. And these toxins can just live in they just persist in the water and then if that water's fed the livestock to humans, if it's not treated well enough, it can lead to n- neurological issues, uh, kidney failure, liver failure, things like that. It's really, it's not a great thing. So my um, my master's, which I'm doing at the moment, is really looking at um, how nutrients fuel the growth of blue-green algae in the Murray River. And the Murray River is a river, but it's, it's slightly different to normal rivers because it's really impounded and it's got lots of, um, weirs and things like that uh, that slow the water down, which make the conditions a little bit more ideal for blue-green algae to grow and develop. Um, and so I'm just, my sort of section of the study is looking at how nutrients are either fueling the growth or how nutrients are becoming available within the within the weir pools of the Murray. And, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, finish that by the end of this year. I'm currently right now in the middle of a three-week lab experiment um, at university, which I have to, which I've created these chambers for, and I've taken sediment from the Murray, and I'm looking at how nutrients come out of the sediment, uh, different conditions uh, at different times across the three weeks. That's that's really interesting. Yeah. Stuff. It's a bit different. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's way above info. my head, yeah, but at the same yeah, time, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know. Well, I mean, it is kind of relevant at the end of the day, right? Because you do get turtles and you do get algae in the same spots, right? whether it be toxic or not, you know, like that's it's one it. of those things when you're talking about water bodies, you do get algae mm. and it doesn't matter what kind of water body. Oh, like I'm battling that's some right. algae in a reef aquarium at the moment, so I can know, yeah. know that pain all too well. Um, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Well, that, so, that's it. And you, and you see how, uh, I, like, not many people get the chance to do this, but being able to do this, I understand a different side to rivers and a different way of how rivers function. And, uh, yep. you know, you, you look, I'm looking at it sort of a lower down stage in the food web, in the in the biological processes, and it really gives a different way or it gives me a different way of looking at how rivers function essentially, which is, which is interesting. Well, there's always more than just, you know, fish and invertebrates and That's all this it. other stuff yeah. in there, mm. all these other microorganisms in mm. every sort of water mm. body. Mm, that's uh, it. Yeah. 
That's interesting stuff. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, uh, if you want to, guys, just want to kind of give us a bit of a run or a bit of an overview of what your collection of turtles looks like these days. Like, if you kind of just explain, because I mean, I've been to your house and I've seen a lot of stuff there. I probably need to come around for another beer sometime soon just to yeah. see <laughs> a few other new critters you got around there. But um, yeah, if you just want to kind of give us an overview of what your collection looks like at the moment. <laughs> Look at each Where other. We, <laughs> uh, we, have, we have had other reptiles. There's, uh, um, well, we, we're down to just a couple of lizards, but we had, you know, the just the central beardy, which is, you know, beautiful. You know, if you're going to have one reptile, to me, that would almost be the go to thing because they're sort of one of those few, well, I think one of the few personable sort of uh, <laughs> reptiles, but, um, uh, then and uh, well, what else have we got? And a shingle back, shingle back, yeah. yeah. We've had land mullets, lots of different skinks mm. and, and dragons, no snakes. That Winnie's Terence's mum, my wife, is not into snakes at all, but they've been here, but um, in the garage, <laughs> temporarily, she didn't know hidden and temporary, anything <laughs> about them. Um, I, got, I got my snake for a couple months and then that had to go, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So only a couple, just one skink and one dragon now, and a lot of turtles. But yeah, yeah look, whoa, where do you start? start. Um, so we've got, we've got one, two, three. We've got five ponds. We've got about twelve tanks. I think around about that. Five ponds outside. Five ponds. One yeah. in the garage. One in the garage. Tropical thing. A few tanks. In terms of species, we you can have. Hear some. You can hear the soothing. Sound of some of the tanks in the on the back of this. Yeah, I can hear that. This, that's it's not nice me waiting myself. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, so in terms of turtles, we've got of the. I suppose we just go by genus of the uh, Elsaia genus. I think we have all of them. Uh, yeah, the recognised recognised yeah, yeah of the recognised species. I think we've got all of them. Um. There are a few turtles that, you know, that it can differ a little bit. So there's like, you know, the Dentata and Flaviventralis. Flaviventralis are sort of the northern form that exists along the top part of the, the NT in those northern flowing rivers. We don't have that form out at the turtles. We, the Dentata we have are just, you know, the standard Dentata as they go south of Darwin um, and into the Kimberley. Um and yeah, I think all the other LSA are pretty self-explanatory. There's Irwini, there's uh, Albagula, there's Sterlings. Well, I don't know whether yeah. they're they're still Irwini, but they're you know a bit muddy at the moment. I think a paper is soon to come out. I'm not Wait sure. Wait someone shoots you down over that. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, that they're like quite different. They look to me, but. Uh, Morphology is not so uh, important to some people. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just being polite. I suppose. Yeah. But, um, it's uh, yeah. They look. There's just they look different to me. Behavior is different to the Irwin, but they'll probably end up. They may end up being uh, all Irwin I, Elsa Irwin I subspecies. Mm. Um, yeah. And there's likely to be a couple forms of those. They need to differentiate. Well, to me, uh, they need to differentiate between some of these things so that um, 
Well, I, I used to look at the the different when they lump every. Sorry, this is a, probably a completely different subject. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, you're right. Just going through the turtle okay. slowly. Remind us what we're on. No, to, yeah, yeah. You guys. Um, uh, just that you know when they're trying to remove all the subspeciation from the um, the Amidura, you know the common more common things we have around Sydney, you know, the Sydney Basin turtle, for example, and there's conjecture over whether that was a, 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 a sep, like a proper species or not a separate thing, entity or just a bastard race of turtles. Um, but then uh, there's Hunter River turtle, Maclay River turtle, as you, as you go north and, you know, the Clarence River they talk about, but that uh, not really recognise the binging. And then uh, Signata in Brisbane, Craft uh, as you go further, so um, then the lumping of all these things just because genetically they are, they are all similar, um, morphologically they're just massively different. So you've got, and then west of the range, they're all eastern flow turtles, and west of the ranges then you've got the Macquarie with the Madura Macquarie eye Macquarie, which is just the common Macquarie turtles that get big right up to the border rivers and right down to the Murray River and beyond. Um, down to South Australia, everywhere, they're just they're they're very to, to us. They're very different. On a mm. you know in a uh, lab, they might look the same, but mm. you need to have that difference at species or sub subspecies level, so that people, um, particularly even just for the sake of the hobby, because that's what we're talking about here. I, I guess mm. that um, mm. uh, people you know don't have a don't have a. It's happening in Queensland now, Macquarie Eye that are bred down in South Australia, the common Murray River turtle, Murray River shortneck, as we call them, um, uh, being sold in pet shops up there and they're being, you know, they get big because they could just get big fast and then people drop them in the, in the water and mm. then they're just mixing up with the crests. Mm. Beautiful turtle, different different to us. They look very different just despite their eye markings. Yeah. But um, And the thing with all these subspecies is, is that, they're not getting any similar. These exist in completely different rivers, completely different drainages, and, you know, yeah. they might be next to each other, but they're, they're, they're slowly diverging. They're not converging. And if they do, yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's a divergence before there is a convergence. So um, you need to, like, as much as genetics is, is important, they're, they're, like, there needs to be that, at the very least, having things separated by the subspecies for to accommodate for these differences that people can see, people can obviously demonstrate, which has been done in many, many papers and things, and and uh, yeah, I was just it's it's slightly different. It may be slightly different to lizards and snakes and things like that because of turtles being in rivers, um, and it's very it's not very common that rivers you know flood and reconnect and things. It may be in areas of Queensland and the Northern Territory and stuff that that may happen but but on the basis of you know turtles and that are you know clumped together they, they really should in my in my opinion in our opinion they should be split up but um but yeah so that that that's an example for the for the Irwin eye up in Queensland that uh yeah, that, so. there's sterling the sterling eye and there's and and uh, they want to I guess I guess they're looking at it now. They were originally saying, you know, they all should be lumped together in Irwin-I because of genetic work, I believe. I can't really remember if it was genetic work or what, what they were doing. But, um, but yeah, I think soon we might see some progression in it all and something 
somewhat resolved. 20-something years ago, all of, the, all of the Elsa were just called Dentata. So the Albagula, yeah. the fast in the further south regions of the Mary River in Queensland, yeah, Mary and Burnett down the back of the Sunshine Coast there, uh, they were just all called Elsa Dentata. And now there's that differences between them all and it becomes more obvious the more you, you see things. There's a lot of, yeah, well, look, a lot of places that need to be checked out further too. too. Yeah. Anyway, back to the list. So um, <laughs> what else? Yeah. Where, uh, uh, Amidura, I think. What yeah, Amidura. Amidura, we have Maclay's, which is yeah. one we've got. Crap. Had them for the longest. They're yeah. the first ones we had. We bought a pair of them when I was they really young. quite regularly for us. Uh, uh, McClay's. McClay's. We had, yeah, Crefts we had. Yeah. Most, pretty much all that along uh, now. Cooper Creeks, they're a beautiful turtle. Um, what else? We haven't, we don't really have many Emidura at the yeah. moment. Yeah, we got Emidura. Oh, yeah, sorry. Tropical, Tropical ones. <laughs> I forgot about them. Um, the Warrelai, we've got uh, Subglobosa. Um, Worrell I was named after Eric Worrell who started the reptile park who I was talking about a little earlier so yeah. I don't know if John can no I don't think John can name them John Legler uh, I think yeah after Eric Worrell um, I think. and uh, they've bred for us beautiful beautiful, beautiful babies, babies yeah. yeah very gorgeous looking turtle mm. We've had Victoria, had a lot of things that yeah. were just sort of two minutes. Tanny Baraga, Victoria, things like that. We've Some sort of, of had them and then picked the ones that we liked a little bit more and moved things on because of space <laughs> uh, and things like that. So, uh, yeah. Well, I think that kind of happens with most, most yeah. keepers, right? You kind yeah. of get this big eclectic collection and you know have yeah. a little bit of everything and then you kind of go oh i just need to tighten the reins in a little bit and kind of pull it back yeah, into the focus and yeah that's yeah. it yeah and oh. the long neck species three pretty much that's three yeah yeah, yeah. three we've got so uh the eastern long necks um long we've had from the very first ones um uh and uh, Expanser broadshell turtles, the big, uh, the big ones, very big ones, and probably my favourite. I don't know if it's Terence's too, but the northern, what we called Ragosa when we got it, uh, northern snake neck turtle, uh, 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 which are now Chelidina Ragosa. So, but yeah, now they're split up. Ragosa actually the name. Ragosa means rough or coarse or something like. I think there's a snake called Ragosa, isn't there? Or something. So there's some other. I think there is. Yeah. Shingleback. Um, Shingleback. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so the coarse uh, textured um, scales, and it's uh, so the Ragosa is actually now the the larger sort of version. I think they've got the fairer coloured, bigger versions that they have. Um, version is the wrong word. Uh, <laughs> uh, that. Uh, they have at Taronga Zoo and um, some display somewhere else. Where else have I seen them? Um, but uh, And we've got the Darwin form, which is now called um, uh, Teledonic Corachal Pongo. Uh, so, that, so that lighter form of Ragosa, their sort of their distribution now is, 
it's sort of it's like a, I don't know if they know exactly where the range sort of changes and shifts and things, but from the western sort of Cape, uh, western side of the Cape, all the way down into the Gulf sort of region, and then back up again towards uh, the NT is is the main sort of distribution of the Rugosa Rugosa, or just Rugosa, um, and now Kuruchapongo if I'm saying that correctly, are now across the NT um, and they they are slightly different. It's I, I haven't seen heaps of Rugosa up close in, in my hand, um, but uh, typically I think the Kuruchapongo stay a little bit smaller and they get a nice sort of beautiful mottled uh, look on their face. The eyes are slightly different and the and the depth of the shell is uh, one of the main differences. The relative to the size the yeah. of the shell, yeah. Mm-hmm. Black, much darker. Much darker and blacker Darkest, and things. Yeah. Um, I think I've got a, on the my page, my turtle page, uh, I've uh, got a few photos up there, um, which I'll share the name of later. <laughs> um, what else? Then? We've got a pig-nosed turtle that you've yeah. seen, Luke. Pig-nosed. I think that's it. I don't know. Oh, yeah, the Myachellis. So oh, Myachellis yeah. or Wollombinia. Sawshell uh, turtles we've had for a long time. Yeah. Our so, females are the only turtles we've really got names for, <laughs> the female saw shells. Mm. I mean, one of them, she regularly lays 12 or 13 eggs, so she was always just called 12 Egg. <laughs> That's her name. <laughs> Till she laid 13. But, yeah, we've, we've had Lisa for yeah. years. I think Lisa's our one of our oldest turtles now. We've had her mm. since I was young. Um and uh, yeah, she's getting old now, but uh, she's yeah. a gem. Can't get rid of her. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, we keep Belli as well. Oh, of course, the Western sawshell. Yeah, the Western sawshell. Endangered species. Yeah. So that, another friend of ours bred them years ago, and so we ended up with a few young ones there, and uh, quite a few older ones from another. Um, prominent keeper in Australia too. So and also, oh yeah, Mary Mary River turtles. Oh, forgot yeah. to mention them. Uh, they're in their own genus, um, Elusor macurus. And yeah. uh, more recently, we've got two baby Fitzroy River turtles. Oh, two nice. Very yes. very unique. Very rare those yeah. guys. They would have been bred by a fellow in Queensland, and. Um, they're fascinating. We I'll just love. shared a few turtles together, which has been good. But yeah, uh, yeah they're very unique. You, you, all that talk about the you know, the bum breathing turtle and all that sort of thing. They just swim around. Even the little tiny babies, you see them swimming around. They don't swim actually. They mm. walk. They very much sort of walk with funny looking awkward legs, and they crawl over the top of things. They'll climb up a filter intake like a monkey, and they are. Uh, you know, they climb up on the driftwood in the tank mm. thing. You've got a bit of furniture in the tanks and they'll climb up on that using their their awkward-looking sort of sticky-looking they'll, they'll, like, grab like that and climb up things. It's, Don't do visual things. I know. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's bizarre. It's just... Like toddlers almost. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and little uh, monkeys, they just... Yeah. But they're, they're, even though they're, you can see we've got them in the substrate in the tank there now is... Uh, a bit of cow grit, the crushed limestone, uh, and and sand, just Sydney sand. And you can see them when they're down, even tiny little babies, when they're down on the the uh, substrate, 
they bury themselves under things. They're fairly shy. Um, they don't come up to the tank flapping around like a lot of turtles do, thinking you've got to feed me now. But um, they, uh, you can see that the cloaca, that, so the the the, uh, the vent or the opening at the back, the bum hole, that you can see the the movement of the sand be, beyond that, and they've got a gate. How do you put it? Like, like a gaping, <laughs> gaping cloaca. It sounds <laughs> a, it's just always open. It's just always open, really wide, like yeah. as wide as a its mouth sort of thing. But it's if it was open. But wow. it's just um, and they suck in uh, the water's going in and out of that that cloaca um, constantly because they've got that um, a cloacal burst, so they call yeah. it that that oxygen uh, that. Oxygen, blood flows right close. It's a very, uh, like, uh, uh, how do you put it? Like, uh, uh, there's lots of surface area in there. It's sort of like a like a lung almost. Like um, yeah, like a gill or a lung th- type, and they have lots of oxygen, oh, lots vascular of blood, and very vascular, yeah. and lots of blood flowing right near it, and they're pumping that water in and out, in and out. And they have lots of sort of lobes to it, and that water just flows through all the lobes, and they, and that, since since we've had these little guys, I've I've spent when we first got them, I spent hours just staring and watching them and filming and things like that and stressing uh, a little bit. Yeah, stressing yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and just watching them and they never came up to surface and breathe once. Wow, in hours. That's and amazing. No other turtle I've ever. There's no like young turtles. I've never seen any other turtle like that. Um, so that's yeah, amazing. They're unreal. That would- that, that would freak me the hell out, that's oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And they're unique. They're not just the way they like the, that. There's a lot of turtles that, uh, that you know, like, um, uh, you know, respirate cloacally, mm. if that's what you call it. Um, but they, those more so than anything else. But it's the movement of the things that's just amazing. Mm. And they're not particularly different to look at. Well, they their, their neck, they're sort of like a mid, mid-neck mid turtle because we've got these like long-neck turtles, sorry, and short-neck turtles, and uh, these are something a little bit in between. And, and they've got that movement that you'll see the head, the, just at the base of the head, so like right, right at the, right top, up the top of the neck. neck, they can turn their head at that point, which I've never seen in any other turtle, not any of the long-neck wow. species too. You'll see it in dinosaurs in movies, mm. but I assume that they're getting that right from the bone structures of the, you know, from the fossil remains, uh, seeing how things move. So it would be interesting to see the bone structure of a um, Fitzroy river turtle to see how that works too, but just unique movement, the way they mm. can move their head, they can pivot that right at the end of the, the, the top of the neck at the back base of the head. Yeah, I've never thought about that with long neck turtles because you know now that I think about it, I've never seen a long neck turtle be able to do such a sharp, sharp sort of angle with the the end of their neck like that. It's also always like a big kind of curve, yeah, such, like yeah, a, yeah. the whole head and neck fused. Yeah. Sounds like a crazy little critter. I'm going to have to come around and check out some of these things yeah. again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a little while. So. Yeah. Um, you know, you've kind of given us a little bit of an overview of how many tanks and ponds and stuff you've got. Do you want to kind of just give our listeners a bit of an idea as to how many litres of water you guys have to deal with? Because there's got to be a hell of a lot of flow happening around there. Oh, gee. Outside there'd be – I mean, we've got mates who've got a lot bigger setups than all this. We're in a 
little block in suburban Sydney. Um, got mates on farms and blocks of land out west of Sydney or out west, over the ranges. Oh, gee. Uh, Maybe about we're not talking outside. About <laughs> yeah, 20,000, yeah. 25,000 outside. Jeez. Leaders. That's a lot. Yeah. That's just outside, That's... yeah. Oh, gee, inside. <laughs> yeah, inside. I don't know. We're wow. looking at things while we're talking. Yeah. Yeah, look a lot. A lot. <laughs> most, <laughs> most, most tanks are above three foot, between three to six foot, and there's 12 of them. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Whatever that equals. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thousands. Thousands, yeah. <clears throat> I still remember the first time that I came around and uh, I got to wrestle that land mullet. I remember that. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, apart from Apart from that, I remember walking into your garage and seeing the massive pond that's pretty much the size of a small car and uh, you had a whole bunch of turtles in there and then you had like all these little tubs that you'd set up with little filters and things for hatchling turtles almost all around the garage in there. And yeah. correct, correct me if I'm wrong, you had that big tank along the side wall in the garage yeah. as well and that's yeah, where you had Piggy. There. Yeah, it's still in there, it's slow growing. Yeah. Um, Piggy and two um, subgabosa there. 18 centimetres now, I think, is the piggy. Just going Jeez. very slowly, very healthy. That was a, that was another one we were stressed about at the beginning. Oh, I was. I used to sit there and, oh, it's a mistake a lot of turtle keepers make. I think, you know, feeding a thing, it's got to eat straight away or, you, <laughs> or it's going to die, you know. But it took yep. weeks before it ate. <laughs> took weeks before it ate and it was, uh, and, you know, I, I learned well. I learned before that, but I didn't learn enough. That you're sitting there and watching isn't the best way to make something eat. <laughs> 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 so it was conscious of me, I'm sure. But yeah, that that's interesting too. But that's right. Yeah, that that six foot tank, six by two in the garage there too. It's got a couple of sub painted turtles, the subglobosa Jardine River turtles in there as well. And then we have our artificial sun tub that we call it <laughs> for when it's overcast the outside. So we got a tub there with a um, mercury vapor, like a uh, uh, mega ray mercury vapor light over the top of it, and a sort of off center so that there's a bit of a temperature gradient in there, and that's when things need to be uh, sunned. <laughs> that's our artificial sun tub, mm. so <laughs> it gets used a fair bit in winter. Yeah, watch the electricity bill go up. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you have to kind of like? I mean, a lot of people kind of talk about having to get your turtles out and sun them in, in particular, to kind of dry out shells and you know, kind of help with shedding and stuff like that. With your like, I can understand being able to do it quite easily with hatchlings and things that you have in some like smaller tubs or tanks or anything like that. You know, it'd be quite easy just to get them out, but. It, with your bigger turtles out in the pond, do you ever have to do that or do you ever have to catch them out for any reason? And if so, how do you oh, do it? Um, I mean, only if they're unwell, mm. you really catch them out. You mm. check, check them out. You know, if they've got a spot. Going to winter was the time, you know, you check everything out and make sure everything goes into winter because everything's shut down. I think the, the pond would be down to 13 degrees at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning or something. Mm. The, the, generally, they'll all be around that 12 or 13 degrees, I'd say. Um, so they're not eating. They stop. Well, all of, everything sort of pretty much stops eating at around 16 degrees water temperature. So that just goes into shutdown, like you would with your, you know, if you had a diamond python outside or something like that. I assume it would almost go into stop eating for below certain temperatures. Um, 
excuse me, but they um, so no, we don't have to do it with those uh, very much. Mm. We Just, get we we in in summer maybe we'd check. Like I like grabbing a lot of things out and looking at them and just looking at them and looking at them, but um, but I try not to. So maybe in summer, I guess we we get in the ponds and you know grab everything out maybe once every month or once every couple of months. But in winter, they they just sort of stay out there for the majority of winter. We maybe maybe have a check. The ponds clear up in winter because of the uh, there's heaps less sun and stuff, so the you know the algae subsides, and we and we can usually see into the ponds well, and just you know you get the net in and move them around a little bit, and they're still a little bit active. You see them moving around, um, but um, but yeah, unless there's an obvious sign of illness or something like that, we just leave them. Yeah. So when Terence says net, guys, he actually means a pool scoop. It's not like yeah. your standard yeah. fish tank net. It's like a no, pretty yeah. serious net. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> big nets, yeah. <laughs> big nets for big turtles. <laughs> yeah. One awesome. of them's got a fishing rod. Yeah. Handle, so. We extended <laughs> it with a fishing rod, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jeez. What, what was the big turtle? I remember you, you handing me this turtle. I, I, this is the first time I went around to your guys' place a few years ago now. I didn't even know half of these turtles actually existed in Australia. That's how novice I am with with turtles. But I remember you handing me. I'm more novice say, than you, so <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> I want to say it was was it white throat snapper? Is that albergula? That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Albergula. They're, they're from the south, so they're from the Mary River, Burnett River, and Fitzroy River, so southern to central Queensland coastal flow. But yeah, she's well, she's still out there. We've had her for a long time, uh, but she was an adult when we got her. So, you, and she hasn't changed in I don't know how long, uh, ten years or something like years, that. Twelve something years, like that. yeah, yeah, we've had twelve years, and and uh, she hasn't changed at all in that time. But and this time last year, well, a bit after this, they're different breeding season. Uh, the big Elsa, they, they um, and Expanser, um, they're a different breeding season. This time last year. She uh, uh, bred, she nested, she was gravid. We had no idea. I checked her and then about, and I didn't think she was gravid. We're always hoping she would be. We've got males yeah, there. So, so we're They've been always, together for years. Yeah, eight, yeah, nothing's eight happened. years or something like that. We've, but uh, I just assumed wow. males were too useless or too young. One of them's too young. He's yeah. a giant. He's very big, um, but he's still young, one of them, and um, very boisterous sort of thing. But she... Um, yeah, it was when was it in August or something last mm. year? Uh, yeah. Terence said he was here on Saturday and said, "Dad, have you been digging around the pond, like the land area on the the first pond, the main pond, and um, with we used to call it the Telstra because it was the big pond, and the other one was the Optus, but um, <laughs> the, uh, but it was uh, and and I said, no, I haven't been digging there. And I said it's probably a cat <laughs> doing yeah. shit in the." <laughs> and um, it was a big mound, and I, like I know, we've seen hundreds of sorry nests, which are the other turtles that would breed in there. And the, the nests are completely different; it's much smaller. It's wrong time of year. Yeah, completely wrong time of year. And I, I like my, I just, I, I, I knew I had a feeling it was the uh, albergula, but I just couldn't believe that it would was actually true. Sure enough, I'm digging, digging, digging slowly, and uh, there they were, these giant, almost like. Quail-sized eggs, bigger than just quail eggs. Bigger yeah. than quail eggs is just amazing, like surreal. Yeah, yeah. 
They're unreal. Yeah, so that was a first first for us. And yeah, that's the girl anyway that you had yeah. there with the white throat. Yeah, yeah. Alba Gula is the I think it's the Latin term. So Alba is obviously white and throat is gula is throat, so white throat. And then um yeah, southern snappers they call them sometimes too. They're hardly snappers in the people always think of the American snappers, you know. I mean they're amazing. The alligator snappers and the common snappers, they're amazing sort of turtles, but these are very very different to that you could not that we do it but you could annoy her and she won't snap jeez yeah, yeah. To, to give you an idea jace this this thing would have been oh what, what she she's she was massive isn't oh. she she's like honestly like 35 centimeters across and yeah probably, uh, yeah. Quite tall. 36, yeah, yeah probably about 40 40 tall or something like it's a i've never seen a turtle yeah. an australian turtle so big mm. the carapace length is about 35 centimetre, I think that's about right. The length yeah. of the carapace is big, heavy. They have a much, you can tell even if you can't see it's dark or anything, after a while you can tell what you're picking up in the, under a log or whatever by the feel of the shell. Yeah. And she, Albergula, have a thick, heavy shell and a relatively flat bridge, you know, where the, the between the forelimbs and the hindlimbs where the, the shell joins together. It's the bridge on either side and you can feel the thickness of that. Mary River turtles are even flatter again. They have a very flat bridge compared to Amidura, which have a very upright bridge, or the northern longies particularly. But they, um, uh, the thickness of it, she's got a heavy, heavy shell. And we've got bigger, you know, turtle, well, bigger um, Amitai, the, the um, uh, Cooper's Creek turtle, Amidura, who's big. Actually, we've got a new one now, Luke, that you haven't seen. But... Um, and she's very big. She's bigger than the Albergula girl, but a, a different shell, much thinner shell. If you saw the skeletal remains of the of those things, you could see that you can sort of tell the difference by look. After a while, you can sort of tell the difference between those things, apart from you know scoot arrangements and as well. But um, there uh, and the general shape and the bulk, all that sort of thing. There's a few telling features, but the 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 Cooper's Creek turtle are much uh, uh, bulkier sort of a body, but a lighter weight shell. Um, yeah, if okay. that makes any sense, different different types of shell. But our yep. girl is just beautiful, beautiful turtle. They're just they're just very uh, prehistoric looking. All turtles are prehistoric looking, really, <laughs> to me. Yeah, yeah, they are. I, I often think that even just looking at my stories, you know, I kind of think like yeah, even just yeah. all the little tubicles and things coming off their yep. chins and like all the spikes around the back of the neck and that. Like I just, I often look in awe of them or I get them out for a health check or something and I'm like, man, this is just such a cool animal. Like these, they're very underrated, I think, turtles in the Australian yeah, yeah. reptile hobby. And I think they need a little bit more praise to be quite honest. And I know that if Definitely. I, as soon as I get a place that I can put a pond in the backyard, then I'll be trying to hit up some people for some albergula and maybe a Cooper's Creek or something like that. So, well, it's yeah. got me thinking already, so I'm yeah, well, to work out where I can put a pond now. So You've got the space. You've got the space. <laughs> That's right. You'll, you'll have, to, have to come down for a day and uh, spend some time talking turtles. It's uh, funny when you seeing about, all these things. Yeah, yeah. It's funny when all the sites, when you talk about them not getting enough attention, uh, all of the websites and Facebooks or whatever, you know, forums, whatever it is, and, it's always uh, it's always uh, snakes, uh, lizards, and other reptiles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. It's a bit like that, so it gets lumped in together. You'd think we'd get our own little space, but we don't seem to get it. 
the yeah. uh, uh, even well on on a negative side too that the that with when it comes to like yeah, this is opening up a whole can of words you probably don't want to talk about this too much but um the licensing side of things it's a lot of people sometimes make oh, i feel that or right across australia different states too a lot of people with uh uh, a lot of knowledge on other reptiles that are making decisions on all reptiles, you know, it just doesn't really make sense sometimes instead of consulting. Uh, or the, people that know spectrum. nothing about reptiles at all making decisions. I think that's what it, yep. I think that's what it is usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, but yeah, any I don't, consulting don't... is. With me. Yeah, you know, a few snake people. Sorry, you guys are snake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a reptile person. I don't discriminate yeah, at all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've got a bit of everything. So. Yeah, yeah. I've got, got yeah. My, apart from venomous, well, I mean, I don't count the brown tree snakes because they're considered harmless. But yeah, nothing dangerous. Um, yeah. It's funny. Like I don't, I don't know how many episodes of this podcast you guys have listened to, but there's a bit of a reoccurring theme that keeps cropping up, and that that's the every episode problems with licensing it's, yeah uh, <laughs> yeah I, I was telling you before that i got really advanced today and i listened to my first podcast on my earmuffs at work <laughs> Bluetooth earmuffs, so i uh worked out that you can get a podcast so i listened to one of your podcasts today oh uh, yeah awesome. well i listened awesome. to a couple of different things a little bit about the uh pet reptile expo and um Scott and uh, who else was there? Oh, there's a few different things. It was interesting. I chopped and changed a little bit. <laughs> All right, it's open to yeah, open him to the world of podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's it's a, good a good rabbit good hole. World. That one. Yeah. <laughs> there's uh, if you ever run out of whatever podcast you're listening to, I'm sure we can give you some more to to listen to because there's some awesome ones out there, and there's there's a few good Australian ones cropping up too. So yeah, you know, I really like the is it the Aussie Wildlife what Show? Is this? Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, if you if you want another one, though, I think Terence could quite get into this one too, especially with the kind of things like the algae and that going left of mm. field. Um, but yeah, the Aussie Wildlife Show; those guys talk to some like ecologists and all sorts of different kind of. It's not just reptiles; it could be doing with mammals or conservation or all different kind of groups and fields in Australia. So that's mm. that's I can't give those guys any more praise. But they're they're fantastic, and I love listening to those guys on a. Yeah, what, yeah, pretty pretty much a weekly basis. I can't remember how often. Yeah, you got me onto that one, Luke. I've been yeah. listening to it quite a bit lately. So, yeah, and I'm still jealous jealous of uh, Steve Crawford and his Owen Pellies. But anyway, I'm not going to get into that. No <laughs> 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 so, um, you, you kind of you, you've given us a pretty good rundown of you know what you've got there. I do have to just kind of ask another question just to kind of maybe help some people at home visualize. Uh, in particular, your outdoor ponds, because I mean, I've been around there and I've, I haven't seen the big new one finished yet. So the last time I was there, there was the hole in the ground, and I think you were still putting <laughs> a few bits and pieces in there. Yeah. Um, do you, do you, can you kind of give us just a bit of a rundown as like you know what are you using as far as like pond liners are concerned? What sort of like enclosure design have you got to keep the turtles safe and happy in there and not not escaping? Because I know, I think, Andrew, I think you did tell me once about how your neighbour was getting sick of getting turtles out of his yard or something like that. <laughs> um, and uh, maybe even if, if we could run into a bit of filtration talk or something as well, because I know you guys are pretty much DIY'd everything in your outdoor ponds, so that'd be kind yeah. of cool to hit on that. Yeah, the main ponds are... Um they sort of evolved a bit. I started small and they got bigger and bigger. But um, the 
main ponds are basically half in the ground because, you know, well, you don't want to be carting uh, a lot of uh, uh, fill in or out of the, up and down the side of the house. So dug into the ground pretty much 50% and then uh, treated pine sleepers around to raise it up a little bit and then backfilled with whatever I got out of the ground to make uh, for insulation around the, the, the sleepers. Um on the inside and then uh, and for the land area, finish off the land area with um, sandy soil. I'm a, I'm a greenkeeper. <laughs> I'm not a scientist like Terence. Um, <laughs> I'm a greenkeeper. So I've got access to all different um, uh, blends of soil, sandy soils and all sorts of things. So basically what, what we use around the pond for the nesting areas is about um, 20, 20% 20, uh, 20 or 30% soil um, and 70 or 80% sand. Uh, but uh, to finish off, but um, I don't know if I explain very well, but the, we have the basically a giant hole and um, we line it with um, the Firestone rubber liner, uh, which is a little bit expensive. It's sort of about a thousand bucks for the last liner for the last pond, which is about six and a half to seven thousand liters before the um, liner we like we um we uh, on a, occasionally uh some both bonds actually we've we've got little steps that we put in with the mm. we put a sleeper in and have little steps there and then get um uh secondhand carpet just to line the you know the step and the and the soil and stuff and that sort of keeps it a little bit compact and it softens it a bit for the uh for the liner yeah it takes out any sharp edges or yep. You know, you know, things you know, are yeah. up in the backyard. You get you know, broken this and that yeah. from the, you know, from the old houses and things. And <laughs> the um, but uh, yeah, so it's just it sort of buffers it from any sharp edges. And then roll it over. Have plenty there. Roll it over. Lots of old pebbles and uh, it's a sort of logs work. and all that sort of thing. Yeah, around the outside to hold it up. And then glass. So pool glass uh, up around. Not every every side but you know two or three sides of the pond um fix their our own special way which i won't say it's a secret it's just i can't explain to you how we did it um, <laughs> but, um uh, and then yeah filtration is uh like 220 liter uh barrels just uh had um uh olives in them i think the barrels um and uh uh, so we pump. We have a submersible, uh, like a dirty water pump in the in the bottom of the pond. Obviously, in the deep pond, we usually make a little bit of a, almost like a sump, like an area that's just slightly deeper than the rest of the pond for the pump to sit in. So all the crappy sort of stuff just ends up going to that area and all get sucked up with that through that pump, the, the solids handling pump, and uh, then only I don't know sort of. Four to six thousand liter per hour pumps, sometimes or something like that. We use it's not the, the it's not the massive amount of flow that's required. You need to just have the well filtered water is better than massive flow. Um, yeah. Then you know you can have a huge amount just passing through something that's doing very little. Um, you, know, you know this whole sort of biology of the thing, which Terence knows more about than I do. Um, will won't be as effective when you just got water smashing through it. So, but it, so it goes up. Trying to explain it um, up, and I set it up. Well, we set it up so that 
it pipes down. There's an elbow at the top of the drum and it and it uh, the pump pushes the water down and it goes down. And I pipe it down to the bottom of the barrel so the water filters upwards. So it enters at the bottom of the barrel and then I have a bit of bread crate, like a milk crate thing and a bread crate over the top. And then it's just layers and layers of um, uh, bird netting uh, yep. or the old onion baggy looking uh Security fence, not security fence, you know, protection sort of fence. The council guys used to yep. use. It's a bit hard to get that now. That was that's yep. the best stuff. Um, so it's sort of like mechanical and biological filtration there. So it, that, but layers and layers of that. We, I mean, we only clean it twice a year. We're really in the ponds too, sometimes three times a year. Um, we don't touch it for yep. months now in the middle of winter. But um, so layers and layers of that. So it's probably about a foot and a half deep of that and then uh, bio balls, loads of bio balls um, in bags, in like net bag things like, you, you know, like you, you, know, you wash your bras in or something like that when you're wearing bras. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the, I, I don't but um, <laughs> then. Um, I'm uh, glad to clarify that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you know, um, then. Um, uh, and just, you know, separating those with a bit of bread crate and another one on top with a couple of pebbles to hold it down. It's all a little bit basic. but mm. So the water filters up through all of that and then there's outlets, just gravity outlets, so it just goes, spills it. You've got to have uh, a couple of big outlets because things block up. One of our fil- – a couple of our filters here, we have um, uh, water hyacinth. I don't know. We're not allowed yeah. to say that we grow water hyacinth. Um <laughs> But uh, water hyacinthus, um, it's uh, just fantastic turtle food. Like it's just the the big things, the big um, sort of omnivorous turtles like the albagula or the elsaia, they just smash the the, um, the water hyacinth. So it's just a bit of a no-brainer for ready food supply. But um, yeah. so you know, just to stop the holes from blocking up, you know, you just got to be a bit careful of that. So a couple of outlets that just flow straight back into the pond, it aerates the water because it falls from you know a couple of feet uh, into the into the pond. And that's they're one of the best ways that you remove the excess nutrients from the pond. You know, they take them up, they grow, and you know, fifty percent of it will just chuck out and let it sit on the ground. The other fifty percent goes back in the pond and it feeds the turtles, and that sort of cycle just. You slowly take out and you slowly recycle and you're feeding them otherwise and that's, you know, sort of the system, the loop. Mm. Yeah. I, I still remember after seeing your filters there, I went um, and I did build a gravity filter ages ago and I think I used like a drainage pit because my tank, my pond's mm. obviously a lot smaller. Mine's only 500 litres, not, you know, 15,000 litres. But, mm. yeah, I used like a drainage pit and essentially did the same sort of thing and then I also grew plants in the top i think i was growing amazon frog bit and, and mm. duckweed and stuff like that as mm. you know all that sort yeah, of stuff yeah. and then i was chucking chucking that in for turtle food for the short necks as well so it's mm. it's kind of cool when you can grow your own food that's helping you know take out those excess nutrients from the water and then feed it back oh, to yeah. your turtle yeah. it's like full circle mm. that's uh, mm-hmm. pretty cool to be able to do that it's just like a wetland on a small scale <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> i mean I'll, all of these kind of floating plants too, you can get pretty much anywhere around where we are too. Like the mm. the Warriorwood wetlands is absolutely chockers full of all sorts of nasty pests. Yeah, you know, floating yeah, plants yeah. And things. So 
That's it. Taking some of those out to feed your turtles not going to hurt anything as long as you kind of let them clean oh, up. Oh, you go and catch gamboos here and pick out all the weed. You couldn't be doing, you know, couldn't be doing the waterways much better, really. The little mosquito yeah. fish, get off, catch all those yeah. things, take them home to feed your turtles. It's great, really. Yeah. yeah. I remember when I first got into some hatchling turtles and stuff and you were telling me to go and collect all the mosquito larvae from the rock pools uh, down yeah, at yeah. Uh, Curly or whatever, and yeah. you know, use the rig- wrigglers for for turtle food, and I was like, oh, it's the yeah, best, it's all these the things. Best starter food. It's, we start everything with that. All the babies, just uh, mosquito wrigglers. Yeah. Wow. And there's uh, plenty of places to collect them. That's for sure. Nobody's yeah. going to be, you know, knocking down your door for taking wrigglers <laughs> out of the world. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's for sure. I, I get people asking mine. all the time. What are you doing? What are you doing? And I'll show them what I'm collecting. And they, what do you get that for, sir? It's always a little bit of fun telling them, telling them what it's for. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Jason. Would you guys mind uh, explaining to the listeners and also me how you guys set up baby turtles? <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, our setups essentially, we start when they first hatch. If they're, if so, occasionally you know you you might get a hot spike or something like that, and the turtles will hatch a little bit early, and they'll have a big sort of a yolk sac. In those sort of instances, most of the time we leave them in the vermiculite in the incubator um, to just absorb that that uh, that yolk sac. But occasionally, you know, when it's nearly absorbed, we'll we'll take them back out, and sometimes they're not the best swimmers, so we keep the water level pretty low. Um, our setup we have at the moment is one of those big sort of flat plastic containers. Um, that's just you know it's it's only top. You put things in, just stick it up, roll yeah, it under your bed, under or your something bed, like that. those yeah. type of Broad things and flat. Um, and uh, yeah, we've just got one of those. We've got a little bit of uh, cow grit uh, in the bottom, a little bit of sand, and a uh, few just val, just uh, just the aquatic cow grit is crushed limestone. Just for alkalinity, mm. and uh, and in our setup, a lot of the time we'll have a little sort of internal filter which will turn the water around. But we've rigged up this little uh, this old canister filter with a with a pump and just it feeds to the bottom, um, and it just like filters back up again, and then just gravity feeds out the top back into that little into that tub. So uh, yeah, it's basically um, a canister filter yeah. converted for yeah. small scale small without scale. massive flow because yeah. too much flow. Just a tiny little pump on it. So and, yeah. Sorry. And a few a few rocks and things and we've got a little dock that we've just propped up on a rock and you know the turtles they're only tiny but they still get up and bask and things like that. And we've got a mercury vapor set quite high above that tank. Mega um, yeah. Mega rate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they get yeah, what the sort of what sort of basking temperature roughly is it for, for the baby turtles? Asking, we always get asked about that too. So, you know, we'd, I used to be a little bit worried about getting the temperature right and everything, but I think yep. the key for people who are new to it, the key, well, in that on that one, I know in the centre of the, the little uh, dock under the light, directly under the light, which is about 35 or 40 centimetres high, depending on the, the globe that we would have in it. Um, like the mega rays, it's hard to get the um, uh, 70 watts now, which we always use there, so there's a 100 watt minimum now, and so we end up having to have it a little bit higher. But um, yep. uh, they, 
it, it would be we'd have the water there. You, the incubation temperature for just about everything we incubate is twenty eight degrees. So I have the water about twenty seven or twenty eight degrees, and the basking dock just a few degrees higher. So the centre of that would probably yeah. be a bit over thirty degrees, just with a gradient down closer to the water. So they get to the spot they want to. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or half in the water, half out um, to to find the right sort of temperature for themselves. There's also a couple of pebbles in there that they can climb up on, which are further away from the from the mercury vapour. So they um, so they'll they'll just you know that that rock will warm up a little bit. Then mm. so that turtles aren't really into they're more into sunlight, direct sunlight than sitting on something warm like you might with a snake or there's a, what's that word for it? You know the things absorbing heat from underneath as opposed yeah. to the that sort of ambient temperature or the, the sun mm. temperature. But uh, it's um, uh, so, yeah, just a few degrees above the water mm. temperature we usually do it. Uh, that's pretty much what it would be like in nature too. In winter, the water's colder, the basking temperature's colder than in summer, but it's still a little bit higher here in the sun's out than the water temperature. Mm. So, you know, mm. three, you know, two, three, four, five degrees higher is than the water temperature mm. is a good good thing. And in the wild, what you what you might find is that they, you know, as much turtles, it, it, the heat is maybe less of an issue. Turtles, are, you know, they run the risk of drying out and things like that. So you, you know, yeah. heat. It's hard to know really what heat is optimal for them because you know, in in nature, if it's a little bit hotter, they're going to stay out for a slightly shorter amount of time, and uh, that's right, and then jump back in. So you know, it's 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 mm. it seems like something that would be quite hard to. To understand, but uh, there might be a way of <laughs> testing it, finding out. So we have a few though baby tubs. We've depending on what's hatching and sort of tried to reduce the numbers. You know, we we breed a few of the more common things, saw shells and maclays, and you know, sell a few to try and cover the electricity bill a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> um, not too fussed about that so much anymore. There's still always a thrill of breeding things. It's just, yeah. like, you know, the first ones of the season, even if it's something very common, it's just, it's still still a bloody big thrill, you mm. know. It's still, yeah. I, I haven't tired of it yet. Um, yeah, those exactly. Digging up the eggs out of the pond or, you know, inducing or whatever and then digging them up so it was more of a thrill but, you know, getting a bit of film and uh, you see other people get a bit of a thrill out of that too so that makes it a little bit more enjoyable. Mm. Um, but... Um, yeah, so sometimes when there's a, quite a few things, we'll have a, a few tubs set up uh, uh, running just to, to get them going. Mm. In the shallow water, yep. five, five, six centimetres deep with a few, bit of ribbon weed, the Vallis norea, just for them to um, to grip onto, to rest on. They don't need much to rest on. Oh, just so they can, yeah, hide in it, swim around through it, uh, rest on it. It's always good for them to have some things rather than just plain straight water. And, um, and then after a couple, maybe a month, month and a half, we sort of, it's a different turtles sort of develop differently. So we, I guess, having the experience know when to start moving them onto slightly deeper water. You can sort of tell by their fitness, by how much they move. The, you can start seeing the growth in the in between the scoots of the shell and, and things. And then you, you know when you can start to move them into a, a deeper sort of water tank. Yeah, then um, they'll go to 25 or yeah. 30 centimetres deep. Yeah. After awesome. that. Mm. 
saw shells, things like saw shells and bells just gra- graduate so quickly. Just strong swimmers yeah. and, you know, boisterous mm-hmm. things. Um, Albergula was like that too. They're much bigger babies than the others, but they were strong, strong eaters, strong swimmers. Everything about them was strong when they were young and compared to warrels. So we've mm-hmm. got the warrels turtles now, the northern Emidura uh, tropical species, are just... Uh, the difference when they hatch, they just pop out of the egg. We got video of them; just they almost just spring out of the egg and start running around. But then uh, <laughs> they're just slow to develop at that young age. Uh, you know, turtle generally uh, our Australian freshwater turtles that that strong growth in the young age is is an important thing in in natural uh, environment. They grow quite uh, quickly. That's their sort of fastest time of growth, just to combat. Uh, you know, the elements, I suppose, and the predators, all sorts of things. So they grow quite quickly when they're young. So it's good to keep them growing fairly quickly. But those whorls are a delicate little thing, relatively speaking, quite delicate, a little bit yeah. slower growing. Um, be interesting to see these Fitzroys now where the Myotellis, the Wollombinia, um, same both names because <laughs> some places use on, on New South Wales licensing the saw shells are still called Elsaia, so um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's uh, yeah, they 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 tend to be quite a, a, a boisterous sort of a baby and easy to look after, really very easy yep. to look after. I find awesome, yeah. Mine's ticking now. Yeah. <laughs> might, have, might have to add what another species. <laughs> I don't know yet. Mine's definitely ticking. <laughs> oh, I can definitely sense that there's going to be some uh, off-air chat <laughs> coming yeah. over yeah. the next few weeks or something. <laughs> That's for sure. So I know you guys just touched on mercury vapor globes over your hatchlings. Do you do you happen to use any sort of other different types of UVB? above other turtles in different tanks and things like that? Obviously, you've got the sun outdoors, so that's kind of covered out there. But just in your other aquariums, what sort of UVB do you tend to go for? We still we still use the fluoro UVB. It's, this is a sort of a bit of a contentious point and bucking the trend a little bit. But I, there's, we, I've seen, I'm not saying that people should do this, but <laughs> yes, I've seen... Uh, uh, people with turtles that are very healthy because they take that they don't really supply any UVB at all, very little, but they um, take them out for natural sunlight quite a few times a week. And there's, you can't beat that. You just can't beat it, really. We can no. stick them in our artificial sun tub, we call it, with the, um, with the mercury vapor light above it, and it's, and it's fine. But, and the babies grow up. All our, everything starts with that, with that the closest we can get, which we reckon is the mercury vapor lighting, uh, closest you get to natural sunlight. So it's heat, it's UV, it's got all, it's got every, all the elements in it uh, right off the bat. So uh, we feel as though that's the best way to start them off. Then, um, you know, we've got UV tubes, which probably out of date <laughs> over most, most of, of the tanks. Most of the tanks. But we've sort of got to the point where we don't really worry too much about that because things are going outside a lot of the time. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, it's, that's, uh, well, I'm not saying people shouldn't do it. People should do it, particularly if they're not getting their turtles out. Get the, um, the uh, you know, fluoro, fluoro ultraviolet light, you know, the, 
10% or whatever it is. T8s and T10s are fluoro tubes. Yeah, so you can provide heat, any sort of heat, really, an old halogen incandescent light. They're getting harder to get those things now. But um, yeah. uh, then well, prices are going up for them, I guess. But the, um, And then the uh, the fluoro, UV fluoro tubes, which, yeah, I'm, I can't say we've gone off that. I don't really like to say that, but we've placed less importance mm. on that than we used to. And it, you I know, suppose it, Yeah. You go. You go. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say sort of in, a, in an ideal situation, if we had the, you know, resources and opportunity to do it, um, just having one mercury vapour above every tank would just be perfect. Provides the heat, provides UV in 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 that capacity. We still take the turtles out for sunlight, mm. and uh, and if you you know you have you have your lighting and things like that. You know if you're if you're strict about getting turtles out into the sun, you, you really you know you can continue to change your UV lights and your bulbs. But a lot of the, I think majority of what's helping the turtle is that time out in the sun, and it just you just can't beat it. It's mm. just you yeah. can't stress yeah. it enough how important that is and how good it is. Yeah, I suppose it's all relevant at the end of the day, right? So you guys are able to to have hatchlings for a short period of time indoors, and you've got the space to take them outdoors and you know supervise them in in whatever mm. kind of enclosure that they're going into outdoors. Whereas, say somebody like myself, I'm a pretty lazy keeper when it comes to my turtles, but I mm. I couldn't wait to get them outdoors straight off the bat, pretty much. Yeah, like you I remember get, them being. You get natural sun there. In that spot exactly yeah. and that's why i was kind of like cool and i'm a big advocate for outdoor turtle keeping i think you know we can't match the sun in any globe there's no yeah. way shape or form to be able to do it and we're definitely not seeing or getting all wavelengths onto our animals either that the sun would be providing but yeah. then i kind of take it to a situation where i started at, at work at high tech and I don't have the opportunity to take the turtles out because there's no safe way to be able to do that. Yeah. I can't exactly take them out into a car park and put them in a container and hope they're all going to be there when I come back to get them. Yeah. So what I then kind of took the liberty of doing is I actually switched over from the T8 tubes because I found that with the UVB meter, they were reasonably soft. Um, and I swapped them over to the T5 10.0s from Reptisun yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah like even just feeling turtle shells and things like that underneath those tubes like they're they're a bit tougher a bit sooner rather yeah. than you know when you when you get a baby turtle it's it's naturally pretty soft you know they're kind of forming up and yeah, getting yeah. that structure to them but they seem to kind of like almost toughen up a little bit quicker um, yeah. Yeah. and I, I think that's been a help like you know it does, doesn't matter what you're doing you always lose a couple of babies here or there mm. But in the last couple of seasons, as far as turtles go at the shop, my my losses have been so little that, mm. like, compared mm. to the years when I was using the T8s, it was mm. uh, yeah. a bit more noticeable. So mm. just by using a, a globe that has a little bit more punch, I think is just doing that a little bit better for that turtle while it's in the shop. So Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. That's Longies all relevant. Longies particularly take a long while to for the shell to – little loose and long neck, sorry um, – uh, the shell takes a lot longer than a little Macquarie eye, for example, for the shell to firm up and become uh, less pliable. So just just to stiffen up, and it uh, takes a lot longer. So they and they require all that in the early year, that first year, they require mm. a lot more than others, I think, because of that. And in turtles, yeah. UV helps metabolize some uh, vitamins and things. So it's it is important. Yeah. Yeah. 
But it's like anything. There's a million mm. ways to skin this cat, and as long as yeah. you're getting, yeah. getting some into the animal, then that's the main main thing at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a um, you know over the last couple of years, I've taken in a couple of turtles here and there that have been a bit average for wear or gotten dumped on the doorsteps or something. And I think mm. not must have been maybe about a year and a half ago now. I remember seeing an ad posted up, you know, free turtle, needs a good home, blah, blah, blah. And the ad was like, I think it was, I'm going to say it was a three-foot fish tank, probably had about two inches of water in the bottom of it, no lights above it whatsoever. And there was an eastern long neck that was walking around in the bottom there. And I, I kind of just, I couldn't look past it. I was just like, oh, yeah, fuck this. I just need to go and yeah. pick this thing up and give this thing a chance. <laughs> yeah. And I went around there. I think I sent you photos, Andrew. I was like, yeah, this thing is healthy as. It was like the toughest, most pretty long neck that I've ever seen, but it had been living in these horrible con- conditions for God knows how long. But mm-hmm. it kind of just gives you that that belief that some turtles, you know, they're just made to survive. And, you know, if they've got that genetic makeup in them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it. testament to the turtles themselves, but also in, in many occasions, uh, uh, maybe not in that instance, but. Uh, less is more, you know. You see, you see a lot of the time people doing water changes weekly and stuff like that, and that's only going to cause stress. That's not not going to do any good for the turtle. And maybe in this instance, not ch- having that shallow amount of water and them doing water changes whenever they were and whatever the conditions they had was just ideal enough for these turtles to exist in. Because you know, looking at turtles in the wild and stuff, I've seen turtles in conditions that people wouldn't believe. They would exist in, and uh, yeah, yeah. Eastern long yeah, I, think right. I think stress. I think stress is a major factor with a lot of reptiles mm. and oh, turtles. Stress is the. It's it'd be the major contribute. Look, the one some of the things that are um, very misunderstood, I think, with reptile keeping in general. I know with turtles is the is uh, is stress and the the effect that that has on the. the you know, on the onset of, of lots of different sorts of illnesses, you know, things, you know, fungal infections on the skin, you know, you're, that stress, that stress can be, you know, from bad water, from too, being too exposed, from being handled too much, you know, running around the house. Turtle, you know, there's always that sort of thing that we don't like. People, the sort of turtle keepers that keep a lot of turtles that, you see all the posts on Facebook or whatever, people with turtles running around the house. It's all, they think it's it's a great thing for them to, you know, like they're exploring and, um, uh, you know, they, they need to stretch their legs and run around and all that sort of thing or snuggle up to them in a blanket and all these things that really only stress out an aquatic animal. Uh, there wouldn't be many, there wouldn't be, yeah, look, turtles just, they don't, when I say, how do you know it? How do you know it? It's just the p- turtles that are handled less do a lot better. Turtles that are not stressed so much do a lot better. Some species stress more than others. The long-necked species we find stress uh, can be a bit more stressy. Eastern long-necks, that's what I was going to say, are crazy animals because can, they can be mistreated and survive. They can be well-treated, have everything going right for them and still without any external signs, they can drop dead. You know, they're very they're crazy sort of things. I suppose, you know, like humans, we all have different um, uh, thresholds and different sort of uh, Tolerance, uh, yeah. tolerances to things. And yeah, some people get sicker than others over with different sort of in different conditions, but at least in the long necks sort of confound everything 
you, you know about turtle keeping, you know, it can be, you know, both extremes. They can be difficult to keep or very easy to keep, really. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you do the best you can for things. But, yeah, sorry, that stress that you were saying, Jason, that's something that I, one of my sort of pet hates with, when people... Um, there's, it's it's got a lot to do with your setups. You're probably going to ask me ask us this about you know setups, uh, what's ideal or what's not or whatever. But um, small tanks, not necessarily small tanks, but tank tanks that are not set up well. Um, a new turtle, for example, if you've got a turtle that's come from uh, a um, you know a, someone's dark room where they don't see it very much, and you put it in a big bright tank in a room where there's people walking past all the time. It'll, it'll be a bit stressful for the turtle. Um, I see uh, rehabilitating people um, uh, getting turtles uh, to rehabilitate and they'll post the social media things up there and they've got it in a glass tank with lights over it and things like that. You know, a wild turtle is not going to do well in that sort of a situation. It needs to be in a dark tank. Forget the lighting, forget all that. It needs to be dark, it needs to be... Um, uh, in some you know, conducive temperature for it to do well. Eating is not so important, like we were talking about before, trying to get things to eat straight away, just to get things to settle, to reduce that stress. And stress is like we know that, that uh, you know, when things are stressed or um, there's, there's the signs, you know, over, it's either they're very overactive and they're swimming around, banging around in a tank, or they're hiding all the time. Um, not necessarily bar not basking. Some, some will bask more out of stress because they're trying to escape from something. So there's all sorts of different behaviours. But that stress will increase that, that production of the, that adrenaline that they produce, that production of the cortisol hormone. And that uh, it's, it's all the readings I've had uh, that we've had have shown that the, the overproduction of that cortisol hormone causes... Um, you know, a drop in the immune system. So it reduces their ability to fight off a lot of uh, problems. You know, the most common thing is septicemia, you know, so blood disorders um, and then some other things that will manifest. So that can be the byproduct of other things like infections, uh, fungal infections, bacterial infections. But, uh, yeah, the stress just manifests itself in so many different ways with... Uh, with turtles, I know, I think with a lot of reptiles, but uh, I know it does with turtles. And likewise with ponds, you see the, the people with uh, ponds, that our, our ponds have very small land areas and a lot of water. Uh, with limited space we have, I guess. So um, they're aquatic animals. They want to be in water. That's their safe place sort of thing. So if you um, have... Uh, a pond area, you know, if you've got a, an area that's sort of, I don't know, three metres by th three metres or two metres by three metres, make nearly all of that area uh, your pond space. Don't have a... We, we tend to uh, make what we think is nice, looks nice, you know. They want this area to wander around and one of the big misconceptions is that turtles like to wander everywhere. Uh, they only wander somewhere because they want to go, get somewhere because they're unhappy with something or they're finding somewhere to nest. Uh, you know, eastern longnecks we see wandering all the time. So in the wild, if it's drought, the rivers or dams are reducing, they'll get out and they'll wander and they'll go downhill. They'll tend to go downhill in a drought trying to look for more water. 
um, if their if their water source is drying up or reducing. When it's raining, heavy rain, they're up wandering around. Again, longies more more so than short neck species. The longies get scared of you know even if they're in a dam, it's not going to flow and wash them away. They tend to get out and they start wandering uphill. So when people lose a turtle in a backyard or something like that, and it's you know it's got out of a pond uh, in a backyard, I usually say well go and look for the darkest spot in the first place because they'll feel safe in the darkest spot. If it's wet weather and it's there's a slope on the ground, go and uh, look uphill. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If it's been really dry and the pond's reducing a little bit, go and look downhill. So there are usually a few telltale ways to try and find things. But the the, the whole thing with a pond is just make your land area as just sufficient and your, your water space as big as you can. So mm. big landscape areas with tiny little preformed ponds in the in the middle and all this area for the turtle to walk around. People will say, yeah, the turtle, they, but the turtle loves walking around. It only loves walking around because it's finding somewhere safe to go, finding another water body because it's not mm. happy with that little water mm. body. So The issue is more with the water body itself and less the land. Like you can have a massive, beautiful, big land area, no problem, as long as the water space within that enclosure is suitable and sufficient and uh, and that's sort of the main part. That's the big stress thing that's too. It, yeah. It's just for them to be happy. We often sort of yeah. uh, impose our mm. ideas on on what they they would like. They oh, they want somewhere to stretch their legs and they want somewhere to mm. wander around. But really, wandering around is just not really their thing. You don't see turtles wandering around in the wild. You see long necks because their instinct they rely on instinct a lot more than they rely on brains. Um, and they, <laughs> they tend to wander at the drop of a hat for different things. Uh, you don't see many of the other species wandering around, but. The other species will handle fast water in a flooded river better, or um, you know they they they'll uh, a bit know. more streamlined the short neck yeah, species, yeah. so they, they do a bit better mm. under those conditions. Whereas long necks are a bit dopier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that actually just got me thinking when you're talking about like the land space that's you know there for for the animals as such. Like my to just kind of give the listeners an idea. We've got a 500-litre pond that's kind of caged in by sleepers, bird wire essentially, and there's kind of like an L-shaped land area around the, the pond. Um, yeah, but I never – yeah, exactly. It's more for yeah. the skink than it is actually for the turtles. But I gave it – you know, there's the option there should the turtles want to do whatever the turtles mm-hmm. want to do. But I never see the turtles. Like There's kind of like a rock to get up out of the water. I think I've only ever caught one turtle on any of the other – surface areas in there apart from that main rock to get out of the water usually they just all pile onto that rock they're nice and close to the water they're comfortable they know they can dive back in at a moment's mm. notice if a bird flies over or whatever um, but yeah the only time that i've seen a turtle actually up and walking around was during a rainstorm when the pond was flooding and it was a long neck so you know it just kind of goes to show that that's ex- mirroring exactly what you're what you're saying there but yeah yeah they yep. don't they don't tend to wander around just for any old reason, you know. They tend to stay close to that water source. Yeah, that's the safe so, spot. Yeah, exactly. Well, that that's that's their whole life, right? Like these guys spend mm. over ninety five percent of their time in the water, and the yeah. you know, they're very aquatic. That's that's one thing that I get a lot of questions at the shops. You know, the shop 
He's, you know, oh, can I get the turtle out to play with it? And my flat answer is no, the turtle's not going to like that. They are a lookout pet. It's the same as a fish. You can get them out for sun a couple of times a week and that's your little playtime, you know, go and give him some sunlight in a safe safe condition and that's, uh, you know, they're not a touch touchy handy pets. Even that can be a little bit stressful for them, but it's an essential thing and you need to do that. So the, the, the whole thing with... Um, uh, what's the word? It's anthrop- anthropomorphism, where the the um, we try and impose, you know, getting things out to play. We want things to play yeah. like uh, cats and dogs. Cats and dogs behave in a way that humans want them to behave. You know, they'll suck up to people, or they'll come for a pat and all that sort of thing. They'll lie down, go to sleep on you, all that sort of business. Well, our central beauty will go to sleep on my chest in the middle of winter because, but that's because it likes the warmth, not because it likes me. But, um, uh, but uh, the, yeah, the turtle, this thing of uh, imposing what we, you know, like wanting them to take on human attributes, that's what anthropomorphism is and that, yep. that's what we uh, people tend to want to do and the turtles are the wrong animal for that. Um, yep. Those people should have guinea pigs and rabbits and cats and dogs, really. Uh, but, yep. I, yeah, that, and that's another stress causing thing too. Uh, it's another thing that makes them uh, unhappy. Uh, what was I going to say? can't remember what I was going to say, something along those lines. Anyway, you, you keep going, Luke, and I might think of it. <laughs> we, we can always circle back if you do think of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, so my next kind of question, like we kind of did briefly touch on what you're feeding you know, baby turtles in the way of things like gambusia and the, the mosquito larvae and stuff. But did you want to kind of, and the the uh, water plants, of course, did you want to kind of just touch on what sort of main diet you are giving most of your turtles? Because obviously it's going to chop and change a little bit, but just to kind of give everyone a bit of an overview of it. Yeah, there's, uh, I do most of the feeding, so I suppose. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, the... Uh, when, well, inside and outside, there's a bit of we try and rotate it through a lot of different things. So um, we'll cut up uh, any use often frozen fish. There's been conjecture over whether frozen fish is a good thing, whether it's uh, good to we don't feed it frozen, but frozen fish that's thawed and cut up. Uh, marine fish like ling fillet, uh, freshwater fish like bassa fillet. Uh, cut up if it's a marine fish and give it a bit of a soak. If it's if it get in, that amount of salt's not really going to matter too much because um, it's not a high. Don't feed them a lot with that. Uh, prawn meat is is one thing we use for inside turtles. I'll go and catch gambusia, the mosquito fish, outside and cut them up with a pair of scissors for the smaller turtles, or just pull a tail off for some that we want to want them to learn to catch things um, and chuck them in a tank inside. Um, uh, the plant matter, so a lot of the outside turtles will eat that plant matter, so there's a lot of different weed goes in there, a ribbon weed, duckweed we can't grow enough, so we'll come around and knock off some of yours, Luke. <laughs> um, duckweed is, is good for most of the turtles, not for the long neck species. They'll tend to they tend towards carnivory, so they'll, they won't eat that. Um, we have pelleted food as well. That's when you're lazy or um, away and it's easy for someone else to feed. So we have bucket buckets full of a mix. Like outside, I'll have a, a bucket. We just call it the bucket mix. And it has um, uh, the trout chow, 
which we get from um, hatchery hatcheries one up near Armadale um, and a uh, barramundi food that uh, they use for some of the farm uh, fish uh, and in with that we have algae wafers yeah the algae wafers um, so a mix of things like that so there's a bit of variety there for them and and with that bucket mix I have a small amount of the cheapest not because it's the cheapest but cat food and don't shoot us down for that but cat food uh, pellets the cheapest uh, coals or woolies ones are usually the lowest in fat and sodium and um, they're probably a, they're a higher protein thing but it's a small part of that mm. bucket mix I know with some turtles particularly the saw shells if I chuck that mix of things in it might be about 10 percent of the cat pellets they'll pick the cat pellets off first it's the first thing they go for <laughs> strangely enough but um so yeah those four things are usually in the bucket in the bucket yeah. mix we have outside and you know, we feed the outside turtles in summer two sometimes three times a week uh not at all now nothing's going out there at all now um so around 16 17 degrees they eat 18 17 or 18 they ease up around 16 degrees we stop but there's temperature temperature fluctuation in the pond so usually you'll go off uh the lowest temperature in the morning seven six or seven o'clock in the morning if you take a reading then that's usually the lowest temperature so you work off that when it starts to get below 16 you back right off as yeah. well we also like the occasionally we have frozen crickets live crickets yep. as well uh black soldier fly larvae are, are good um the babies occasionally will give them brine shrimp just in the mix. Um, not often, though. Um, what else? There's uh, occasionally as well in our filters, in our big uh, uh, filters we've built and all the ponds out the back, uh, we have a bit of, we have a tap on the bottom and uh, dragonflies and mayflies and things have, like, I think, eggs. Nymphs. They're nymphs, and, uh, the nymphs, which you know come from eggs i think um yeah. they they develop and they have that full life stage in our filters and um, you know often see the the casings a bit like a cicada they come out of the water and they sit there and they break out um but before that i'll i'll just open the bottom of the filter out and all the 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 crap at the bottom of the filter will come out and a heap of them will come out and uh i'll pick through that and i'll feed them to the babies and they're they're i forgot what the names are but if you look at a lot of the papers where they you know, flush babies, wild babies, and things. That's that's going to be a large portion of their diet. Um, yeah. Uh, in the wild, uh, for yeah. at different times a year and for different species. You know, um, other turtles will be, will have a lot of uh, vegetated matter, but you know, but yeah, for us, uh, yeah, a good source of food. It's good to be able to kind of harvest what you can from around the house and things as well. So yeah, you know, all those other it. sorts of wild, wild foods are great. You know, like mm. I quite often every now and then I might feed an unlucky unlucky huntsman or cicada to my frill neck mm. lizard or something like mm. that just to kind of vary his diet a little bit and he goes absolutely mm. bananas for that sort yeah. of stuff. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's just making use of what you've got, right? That's it. And yeah. variety is, is fantastic just Keeping oh, that variety is just is just so important. If you if there's one thing you can't be lazy with, it's variety. It's it's uh it's the best. Yeah, it's the it's yeah. uh 
it compensates for potentially having a you know a, a slightly fatty food or a slightly you know less nutritious food. I remember yep. what I was going to say before. Now, <laughs> go for it about the handling the turtles. Yeah, um, just that I've always had this thought that the the, the um, you know we we uh, people want turtles to behave a certain way, and you can condition turtles to do something you know people have them so they're eating off a dock out of the water and um they'll take food out of you know on land or something like that but they turtles need water to digest the food so that's another stressor as well another point where they'll be stressed you know they'll be taught to do something so you can condition you can't train a turtle to do something but you can condition it to do something with basically by food bribing um but uh so those long-lived I've always thought that those long-lived reptiles, the reptiles that live for a long time, you know, like turtles, our things will live for 40, 50. We don't know because people haven't been keeping them for that long. So 40, 50, 60 years. Um, So those sort of things, you can't, you know, crocodiles are probably the same, but you can't go and um, train these things, you know, teach them to do tricks and behave in certain ways. You can condition them to it but that's probably against their will and they'll just do it under sufferance. It's just like, you know, you need, you know, I want my turtle to do this, I want it to do that. You also got to remember that those habitual things you set up because of food bribing, you might have to be doing for 50 or 60 years. So, you know, it yeah. goes to someone else or it goes and lives in a pond. You don't want that sort of uh, that conditioning to be present then. So just treat the bloody things naturally, you know, as, as much as best exactly. you can. Feed them in their tank, feed them in their pond. Don't take them out and feed them in other things. We, I, we always recommend that anyway, just because it's yep. more natural. And it shouldn't be messing your tank up because you shouldn't be overfeeding. Um, sometimes we seem a bit mean, like we're underfeeding maybe, but there's no mess afterwards because mm. everything gets eaten. They're um, a scavenger yep. as well, so they, yeah. they do better with less food than more. Yeah, so That's sorry. Right. That was what I was trying to think about before, but I <laughs> got sidetracked. No, you're right. <laughs> what were we talking about just before? <laughs> oh, we're kind of wrapping up a little bit on food, but something that Terence just said kind of made me think of this. So turtles are scavengers by nature and they do kind of take in whatever they can find. And sometimes that does include their their tank mates or their pond mates, you know. So I've had yeah. that happen where, you know, one turtle might have nicked its foot on something or, or grazed itself on something and then all of a sudden he smells fantastic to the rest of them that are in the pond. Yeah. Um, and then that sometimes causes a little bit of, you know, nasty nipping behaviour and things on that turtle. So obviously, you know, once you do notice th- things like that and if it's pretty minor, do you guys have any sort of like topical treatments that you use on little minor abrasions and cuts? For those for those instances, it's always as always the case, and usually always when when issues arise, they'll nearly always get worse because other turtles picking at those areas, at those fleshy sort of open wounds. Because it smells like food. That's it. Um, yeah. So yeah, we do use various different things, I guess, for for different treatments for um, you know more more the skin issues. But yeah, I don't know what like what would be. Oh, there, there's a there's a, quite a few things for. I mean, for common, um, uh, you know, shell lesions, shell or skin problems, an initial treatment of betadine, like a betadine treatment, is one or two treatments, either with a, you know spread on with a little cotton bud, 
um, or uh, just a dip in a, in the dilute solution, um, diluted solution uh, is good. It's hard to beat that for uh, stopping infection early or open wounds to treat an open wound. But overuse, the thing that happens often is betadine gets overused. So continual use of betadine will inhibit the, the growth of new, like the good cell growth, uh, good tissue, tissue growth. Yeah. So um, because it, it'll inhibit just about everything, it'll kill off the bad stuff, but it'll, it'll stop that initial good stuff from getting a foothold too. So one, uh, two, maybe three treatments with betadine is good. But for us, you know, like conditioning the water with a bit of acroflavin, um, acroflavin is a good tropic, topical treatment as well. So um, that's basically what you get in fish fungal cure, like, you know, you'd have it in the shop, uh, fish, yeah, multi-cure, those things. They have malachite green or methylene blue in it as well, but um, yeah. which is fine. But that diluted is a very good topical uh, topical treatment. It's good antifungal. Um, it gives at lower than recommended rates in your tanks or ponds or whatever. It's good. Uh, it's a good like an ant. It gives your water some antiseptic qualities, as mm. does salt. So mm. you can increase the salt a bit. All of these things, you know, you can have iodine. Um, all overuse of all of these things, you can almost get iodine poisoning. You can get, um, you can ruin your filter and overdo things with the mm. acroflavin and give you give your turtles eye problems with mm. that. Um, uh, overuse of salt can give your turtle kidney problems. You know, passing through that digestive system, um, and then. The, the other things topically that we'll use when turtles are dry for, for anything around the head, it's good to use chloramphenicol uh, like as a topical treatment. It's a topical antibiotic. It's Clorsi that you get from the chemist for your eyes. I probably won't sell it to you for your turtles, but we'll leave that up to people's imagination how they get hold of it. But um, Clorsi is a very good topical antibiotic and it works well on a lot of things. Mm. It doesn't have to be around the head, but it's safe to use around the eyes. Eyes and mouth. And typically we use that for the smaller ones. Yeah. There's also um, oxytetracycline hydrochloride, which is teramycin, which is a – it's called teramycin, which is a pink eye spray for cattle. Um, and that's a good antibiotic, topical sort of antibiotic that um, that can that's safe around the eyes and things like that. Um, a lot of the back, a lot of you know, the books and uh, studies and stuffs have shown a good response uh, by that uh, treatment to bacteria and infections and things. Tetracyclines. It's a very common uh, human treat, treatment for humans. Mm. All of these things are used for humans to some degree, mm. except acroflavin now because um, potential acroflavin has an interesting story. You Google it and see how it all happened in the Second World War. And, People working in a factory because it was a food dye, and they um, people getting cuts in the I think in Germany in the Second World War making uniforms, and they they started to people were getting um, cuts from the pin bricks and needles and getting sores on their hands, and the ones who were working with the the the, the garments that were green um, coloured with acroflavin um, food the colouring mm. um, their wounds always got better and everyone else has got worse so that's how they discovered it but then potential for I don't know how much they've looked into it just um, as a carcinogen I think that's why it's not used so much uh, for human use now sorry for yep. turtles <laughs> that we yeah. know. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then, you know, other things, when things get a bit beyond it, you, you know, you, you have to go to your vet. There's a lot of things people can do, um, reducing stress, you know, um, sunning things, trop topical treatment of, of small wounds, separating turtles, because most aggression is, like you say, it's just, it's usually harmless. We've had aggressive turtles that are just out of, you know, we had one saw shell someone gave to us and it was just a little bastard, you know. It just attacked things for no reason at all. Um, so it got, it got sort of flung in the pond outside and it got sorted out. It's one of the adults out there now and it's okay. Um, but it and didn't the, have anything it could attack it. And the other great thing is just dry time. It's just simply dry yeah. time allowing the wounds to just dry out and, uh, yeah. and uh, have that separation from tank mates, but also just the, the dryness helps wounds just yeah. heal over and things. And in the wild as well, you, you, I've seen as well. You see turtles occasionally with issues and things. And they're up basking. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing what uh, you know, what kind of little home remedies you can actually use. And you know, I have to thank you guys for putting me onto Clorsig. I have mm. to run around to a few different chemists and pretend that my partner had conjunctivitis and stuff just to try to get my hands on some. But you know, hear, at the end of the day, yeah, you didn't hear it. No, yeah. no, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah, it, uh, you know that that helped out a turtle and it saved me, you know, hundred and eighty dollar vet visit for some antibiotics or something like that. Mm, mm. You know, that was a couple of uh, one of the stories. I don't know if they'd punched on or what, but it had a uh, had a wound across its nose or the bridge of its nose sort of thing. But uh, no, that sorted oh, yeah, it out yeah, within. Yeah. A week. Yeah, yeah it's within like a week or something it was all sorted out between that and a bit of dry time i just kind of drop the claw sig on leave him in a bucket for half a day and then go pop him back in the pond for the rest of it but yeah and that sorted him out pretty quick um i have to kind of just touch on because we've touched on so many different species of turtles but i haven't actually asked you do you have like a particular favorite of yours that it is to to work with like do you have a favorite or is it hard to pick favorites he does <laughs> no, look, it is hard to pick. I, you know, you talk about one that's your favourite till you talk about the next one, really. But um, that's right. I yeah. do. I do. The albergula are just the white-throated snapping turtles are just unreal. Like they're just yeah, they're placid. They're great. They're sort of a bit boisterous and they look like little ninja stars. You know, when they're, they're still the babies we've got it, got now, they're just um, they're just uh, amazing-looking turtles and they're. They're outgoing and the big ones are big and slow and sort of graceful, you know. They're just, uh, I don't know, there's just something about them that's amazing. And I like the northern longnecks just because they're a bit crazy. They're, they're, just, they're just rabbit eaters. They just, they just go crazy, you know. Like they just nearly they snap at anything. You walk into the garage, they're in the garage. Now they're outdoors in summer. Um sort of six months outside, six months inside. Not that we like to move things, but, you know, that, that one move, uh, two moves a year is fine, you know, uh, inside to outside and back in. Um, but uh, so probably they're my two favourite if you had to. Yeah, oh, then Terence will say something and I'll agree yeah. with you. Anyway, but, yeah. <laughs> for, for me, it's I've, always the way. Yeah, for me, I've always struggled to ever have, I, I think, for in terms of like turtles, Australian turtles that I liked, I, I always said I had a top five, but then I really thought about it and I looked at all the species and I, I thought, oh, I don't even think I could narrow it down to 10. So <laughs> <laughs> I always struggle. I mean, I do love the, looking at the uh, the long neck species in tanks. I just find that the movement in their necks and just the way they move 
expanser in particular and and even those northern long necks they they can they, they tend to move together and they sit together okay uh most of the time and they they just i don't know they've they have a bit more of a slower movement whereas the short necks you know they slow down when they get bigger and they get a bit slower but um but yeah they the the in particular the expanser they just they just I find them just amazing. Just broad their, shell. The broad shell expanse. Yeah. The big ones. Um, they're just, uh, they're, they're pretty beautiful in a tank setting. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think as well one day when I move out and have my own property, I, I will think I will try and have adult expanser in a tank and a very, very large tank. That's really, <laughs> I think that's a dream of mine. <laughs> It's always good to have goals, right? And it's well, cool that's to, it. right. <laughs> it's cool to kind of think about those things as much as they might be hypothetical for the now. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah. still, I'm still dreaming about my walk-in Gillen's monitor enclosure with my dead mulgers and things inside of it. So, yeah. you know, one day, one, one day. day. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually surprised surprised that both of you guys didn't. You know, maybe this is just me looking from an aesthetics point of view, but after looking at your Instagram. Terence, which is yes. uh, Tertalia. So I'm going to yeah. spell it out for everyone yeah. just because it is a bit of a unique spelling, but you guys yeah. have to go and jump onto this. So it's T-U-R-T-A-L-I-A-A. Terence has got some awesome photos up of all these turtles that uh, Andrew and, and Terence have there at their place. I'm actually surprised that you guys didn't men- mention the Jardine River turtles because to me, I mean, I'm a sucker for colour. So those guys kind of stand out to me amongst a lot as well. Well, our dad's colorblind, so yeah, he's uh, rules him out for all the yeah. colorful <laughs> things. They still stand out to me. They look colorful to mm. me, but I don't see the subtle colors in the mm. skin and some of the things that uh, Terence has got to show me out in the sun mm, yeah. for me to see some of those things, for me to notice yeah, that. And just I see mm. things a bit more bland than you would see. <laughs> but uh, so I think it's a bit hard. As uh, I guess I've grown up keeping a lot of different species, and I've and I've seen them interact with other turtles. I've seen them at different growth life stages and growing and things. And I just, I don't know, I think I've fallen in love with different aspects of turtles and not just the colour. And, and the Jardines are pre, they're just stunning when they're the, the bright yeah. colours and they're just striking. But, you know, I I do find, although maybe I like the attributes, other attributes, the long necks of some things, the the character of some turtles, like the belli, mm. they're just the character of belli is just like no other turtle. They're just mm. the 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 way they move in a tank. They you know swim around quickly and then they'll stop and chew on something. It's, it's just yeah, you know little things. Yeah, the craziest ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's these little things that I know. I guess you you pick up when you've kept and had these things for yeah. years and years. So. Yeah, yeah. We've only we've well, had those guys for as long as we've yeah. had some of the other species. The Jardine, the Sapphire, yeah, we've had for as long as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that definitely helps, I suppose. And, you know, I'm coming from a very limited pool of turtles that I've kept. <laughs> and, you know, if I had to choose out of the two species that I've got here a favourite, I'd probably be hands down saying the Eastern Longneck, to be quite frank. And my mm. main reason for that is, is they're so friendly in a pond scenario. Yeah. Whereas, mm. like my my uh, uh, sawshell turtles, they are quite shy, so I might kind of see them through the window out basking. But if I was to go out there and have a look at them, they're straight into that water and don't want a bar yeah. to mm-hmm. do with me unless there's food involved. 
Whereas the eastern longnecks will physically go and actually come out of the water and like you know get up onto the the dock or whatever and look at me as if like come on are you going to drop something in here or yeah. what you know but they, they've got that kind of quirky almost dopey personality to them uh, yeah. which I I quite like out of those That's guys. It. You get to know the personalities of different things and you just love them. Yeah, and it, yeah, that's when it, you know things like your color patterns and stuff. Whilst they look fantastic mm. for a photo, yeah. that's one thing, but the personality yeah. can't be brought across in a photo or something. So yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's kind of nice to get to know the animal. Mm. Hey, um, so ha- have you guys? I don't know if, if you read this question or, or if we touched on it kind of previously, but have you guys done any work alongside any government bodies at all for turtle conservation? No, not really. Been on the fringes of things, and you know, you sort of offer. In Australia, we're a little bit backward in respect, uh, in that respect that hobbyists or keepers are not regarded at all. In really not regarded at all <laughs> um, for uh, as being well, not as being knowledgeable as being a valuable contributor to anything that's going on. Mm. Some of the work, the conservation work and study, the, um, even things like down to uh, the licensing, like we were talking about before, you know, there's not much consultation there, I think, particularly yeah. with turtle people. Mm. But, um, no, we haven't had anything really officially to do uh, with it, but uh, with any of those things, but, um, you know, a little bit sort of on the fringes and mm. speaking to people and people. Good people would listen listen to advice, I guess. Not mm-hmm. that they have to listen to us, but there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of Terences in the scientific community now. I'm I'm uh, I'm a greenkeeper, but um, there's a lot of um, uh, people with a lot of uh, knowledge in different areas, but not a real lot of practical experience, which they don't. They, it seems to be discounted that, you know, it's like these things that we see, the behaviour yep. of turtles, and, okay, we keep things as natural as we can. They're in glass tanks as well, but you see those behavioural behavioral differences. You see what the preferences are for, for food, all those sort of things that, well, we've spent a lot of time outside. You know, we're talking this, what's it called, herpeto culture, so we're talking about cap- captivity, but the amount of time that we've spent with things in, in the wild, you know, like, snorkeling in rivers and seeing the behaviour, seeing where things will nest and where they'll spend their day, where they'll spend their night times, you know, all that sort of thing. The foraging times, you know, all that sort of stuff is not really that well understood by mm. a lot of people. I'm being very general, aren't I? <laughs> we, um, no, it's okay to be sometimes. <laughs> we've never really pursued many uh, to involve ourselves much in conservation, con- like conservation efforts and things. I suppose it's hard being someone not affiliated with people and you just hear it on a whim and you and you try and offer advice and people just think, well, who's this random? Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, things like that. And you can you can kind of understand in instances a bit of hostility, but, you know, when, when, it, when it comes down to it, even us, we, we will listen to people, even people who've kept two turtles and they've had them for 30 years. That's... That's, that's someone that's kept turtles longer than we have, so we can learn something from them. And and a lot of the time, something I learn in science is that the more knowledge you have is better. And you and you you use all that knowledge and you you 
decipher and you, you know, look at all of it and you look at all the different aspects and you take the good points, you understand things more when you understand more points, different aspects, different understandings of things. And uh, I think that's something that should be employed more in Australian conservation efforts, things like that. It's just the, the broadening of horizons, if you will, just understanding, you know, different aspects, different a keeper's aspect for, for that uh, naturalist aspect, someone who understands rivers, someone who understands, you know, uh, water in general, just water. You know, you, you can learn something from them and you build that picture in your head, but you'll never build that picture if you only just, you know, have your own opinion uh, a lot of the time and, yeah, mm. keep it that brief. <laughs> Won't go yeah. into <laughs> Yeah, no, fair enough. So, yeah. um I suppose when you are talking about turtles, like uh, Jason and I recently with the the expo that just kind of passed, we were both kind of geeking out because we got to go and get our our big turtle bible signed by the legend uh, John Can. So you guys are pretty close to John Can. What's it like kind of having him as a bit of a a friend and mentor? Oh, it's unreal. Uh, Well, he's he's just a nice old stick. He's a good bloke, really. So that makes it easy. Um, and you realise after, realize after you know him a bit, I mean, we know him through turtles, I suppose, only more recent years, I guess, but when the last book, uh, the 2017, 16, 17 book 17. came out, so in the, the researching of that, we're just able to help him with a few photos and a little bit of information, so that's how it sort of, you know, it sort of come across each other a few times before, but that sort of started from there back in 15, 16 sort of thing, I suppose. Um, but, it, uh, no, he's great. He's just champion bloke. He, he just, I, he was over here the other day and I was just saying that it's, you know, we've got to uh, pick, your, pick your bloody brains now before you lose your marbles, you know, and he, he always says, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, start picking because I'm losing, you know, he says things like that. But, um, uh I oh, know he's good. He's still pretty sharp, but yeah. he's you know he can forget things a little bit. But there's such a wealth of knowledge in there, and because you you know you meet up, you don't just talk about all these things. So you know we talk about places that need to be checked out around mm-hmm. Australia, all that sort of thing. That uh, um, you know we we've sort of uh, would be interesting to check out at some stage. But um, and he's not really that able to do a lot of mm-hmm. those things now. But I oh, know it's just great the, the knowledge. Uh, you know, that sort of natural history side of things, not so much, you know, husbandry isn't his forte. That's not, you know, you don't want to be writing books on how to keep turtles, but, you know, you learn everything, basically all husbandry, um, all the keeping, all the hobby stuff stems from what we know about the turtles in their natural environment, and he knows everything about that. Mm. He knows everything. He's very taken with the little Fitzroys for all the time he's spent with those things. He's still fascinated by the way they eat and, uh, the, you know, what they eat and the way they eat, the way they move, you know. He's just, he rings up every couple of days asking yeah. when we're going to send a video, another video. Videos, because <laughs> I take little videos, he just constantly is asking for videos of them. <laughs> That's unreal. It's, a, it's funny as well, even going, we were at his house one time and he took us upstairs and, and he goes, oh, so how do I save this picture? Can you show me how to save this picture? <laughs> there I was on his computer saving this picture for him. <laughs> simple things like that. <laughs> yeah, some photos on that computer. Yeah. 
yeah, and just sitting and sitting with him and hearing these stories of just his travels. It's just, it's like, it's yep. like, a, it's just, he's like, it's like a, I don't know, like comparing him to Steve Irwin almost. It's just, it's just amazing. The stories and the, and the, you know, the different, uh, we, we, you know, you attach the story to a species of turtle and then it's just, it's whole, that's the whole story. It's attached to that species of turtle, but so much happens in these stories. It's just, it's just amazing. Like, it, you know, it's just, it's like a movie. It's like a, a series. You, I don't know. It's hard, I can't even explain it. It's just amazing. The stories uh, yeah, of all these yeah, trips yeah. and all the travels and things like that. It's just, uh, we're very lucky, I guess. It would be, it'd be amazing just to, yeah, I'd love to have that opportunity to be able to talk to him. Yeah, like that, to kind of get some of his knowledge out of him. Just to hear the herb stories. Just to like, that's right. You know, just to live vicariously through those stories is, you know, what what it would have been like to be a fly on the wall in his life. You know, that's like it. that's right. Yeah, he would have seen. Yes, some I was really stoked just to have that quick five minute chat with him that we had before the expo opened. Like, yeah, just to you know, just to meet him. I'd never met him before, so it was mm. unreal. Very, very normal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just that's true. Yeah, normal bloke. But he, one of the things that I loved a, a photo. There's a photo of him uh, and his old man um, down at uh, somewhere down near the border of Victoria, somewhere, and uh, you know they've gone down there to catch tiger snakes, and probably I think it's for Eric Worrell or something for the for the um, for the reptile park with the work they were doing there, and and. Um, is a picture of him with a jacket on, uh, huddled over under a tree, and it's been pouring rain. It's an old black and white photo, obviously. And he is a young kid, a teenager or something. His dad said, Come on, we got to go and catch these tiger snakes. And they end up catching, you know, like bagging about 40 tiger snakes or something like that to, to bring home. And um, I'll find it and send it to you guys one time. It'd be in some of his books. Uh, I think we've got most of them here, the snakey sort of books, yeah, too. But yeah. um, he'd been down there and he'd just talking about. You know, you just like that. It was just normal. You're just going down to catch all these four yeah. tigers, and they chuck them in a canvas bag. And, you know, yeah. like, bring them back to Sydney. It was just such a normal thing for him. yeah. His his story is, is amazing. He doesn't seem to think that people. He I think it's sort of odd for him that people are so uh, sort of uh, enthralled by his stories that seem so normal for mm. him. But that was his life. You know, mm. that, that was normal yeah. for him. But for you and I, it's just. Seems like a crazy life, you know. <laughs> yeah, it seems like there's a lot of the, I call them old timers in good spirit, but like a lot of those kind of guys in different generations like that did kind of have those lives and they don't really recognise that it is something different. You know, that was just their life. That was what they did. Like even the likes of uh, Neville Burns, you know, like I remember reading his book and having his stories and stuff in there. Like that was just an unreal read as well, how he travelled up and down the east coast of Australia and, you know, catching scrub pythons here and working at this place here or whatever and just doing all these sorts of things that, you know, we just couldn't fathom in this day and age just to be yeah, able yeah. to do that really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh, the knowledge oh, of those unreal. guys is unprecedented. That's That's what we don't. Well, we do tap in. We've tapped into it for, in John's case, particularly with turtles, I guess, and he's referred mm. to in every, just publications worldwide. You know, just uh, if it's a, if it's something encompassing uh, freshwater turtles across the the world, he you know, he's got a mention in it <laughs> for sure. Yep. Some sort of reference. His knowledge is used there somewhere. 
uh, and it's you know we underestimate what lay people can uh, achieve I guess yeah I just some of the stuff too like going snorkeling and trying to find turtles in far far north Australia you know up where the giant swamp geckos or the crocs are you know for him yeah. to kind of have the oh. the nuts behind him to go and do things like that like to me that just there's no chance in hell you'd catch me doing that but yeah I look there's pictures in his book uh, the boys um, in uh, oh, what, Daily, River. Daily River holding up yeah. pig nosed turtles and I said to him what like, what are you doing? Well, yeah, and he said, "Oh, I have nightmares about that now." Um, but it, was, it wasn't. It wasn't I can for, only like you. Know, Last a couple of minutes in there now, mm, in that spot, yeah. in that same spot. Mm. You know, it's just, um, yeah. So I mean, it was a different sort of set of circumstances then. He, you know, him and his mates. He was with mates when he travelled around, and they're in water. There's pictures in somewhere, a video too, somewhere I think of. Uh, one of his mates, Graham, running out of the water because they just went in, he's snorkeling in a little billabong thing. And then next thing was a photo sequence of him just sprinting out of the water. It just sort of looked like, you know, he's flying across the top of the water, <laughs> you know, like a cartoon <laughs> character running on running on the surface. He was moving so fast because there's a big salty in there. And they just didn't expect <laughs> it to be there. They had a look from the surface and couldn't, they were doing things like that, checking to see if it was safe to go in there. Mm. You know, like yeah. looking to see if it was safe to go in there. I'd want to be a little bit more certain before I went yep. in there. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. You'd want to be poking around with a 20-foot pole at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, get the local to go in alongside you. And if they don't go in, then you don't go in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you guys kind of touched on the fact that you have been snorkeling in a few rivers and, and things. You haven't gone that far north and gone gone snorkeling? Uh, not so much. I've, I've been to Northern Territory, took Terence there when he was a little baby, um, but uh, around the Gulf Country, been up there once. That was interesting, snorkelling with fresh, there's freshwater crocs there, see plenty of those. Not so, th- well, they can be pretty big, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you sort of think twice about it before you go near them. But um, Queensland, yeah, yeah, a lot of rivers in Queensland, New South Wales. I'm going to go up to Cairns sometime soon, so I get in some water up around there. But I'll take some locals with me. So. <laughs> 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 and, uh, push them in and see if they get out quickly. Um, and then, um, uh, yeah, look up around. Look, one amazing place we've been is Lawn Hill National Park. Uh, uh Muller National Park, it's called, um, and Adele's Grove, and that's just paradise there. The, the fish, the turtles, there's the Labracorum, uh, Elsa Labracorum, they were called, that was the fossil species was Labracorum, and then they found the turtle and they were... Um, uh, Misidentified. Yeah, misidentified. Now we find out that uh, we just were out at Hawkesby Herbs the other night hearing Arthur White speaking about he was one of the, the two that named the the Elsaia lavaricorum, the fossil species, and then found the living fossil, they called it, the lavaricorum that was living in the Gulf snapping turtle. So he found, they found those and they, they matched it up with the uh, fossil uh, records and 
just recently, just in the last uh, year or so, they found out that that wasn't an exact match and that uh, some of the new technology, I forget what it was with the mm. projection of, of the, the, the scoot patterns and the, the, uh, the carapace bone suture lines and things to, to work out what was what then and the, there's fossils, 50,000-year-old fossils. We were holding them last Friday night, <laughs> these 50,000-year-old fossils. Um, wow. Uh, from... Um, uh, the Lavracorum, there's a fossil for that and a fossil for the new, the Gulf Snapper, which is now called Uniross. Um, so the side. they were both side by side, pretty much the fossils. So they both still existed there, but the Lavracorum doesn't exist now. It's only a fossil. It's pretty amazing. The new software they've developed is looking at how the, the scoot pattern, which is that uh, keratinous or keratin, like your fingernails, that layer uh, of on the on the shells that that you see um that that layer they, they're using this software that will identify that scoop pattern on the fossils mm. so what happens is you know when the when the when the turtle grows and it has that growth it grows from the in between the scoots and and what happens to the bone under those scoots is it starts to harden because that's the growth the place of growth um and in those sections, that's where the bone in these fossils is slightly hardened. They're using this software to, to, to be able to, you know, find these borders of the scoots that would have existed, however long ago, and they're and they're comparing that to to live specimens now. And that's how they discovered that you know, the, the fossils are actually different to the to the living animals. But they did one of the unidentified fossils that was in the collection that just wasn't included at all turned out to be the same as the living specimen. So the living specimen now, Uniros, was living alongside the Elsaia lab, Labragorum mm. many, many years ago. Yeah, too similar. Wow. Too similar species. Yeah. So they are still a living fossil. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. That's unreal. Mm. There's so much, like, I mean, to me as an outsider, as far as turtles go, there's so much to learn about turtles and there's so much that's just unknown about Australian turtles, mm. for, for me in particular. But, you know. That's it's, why I've been so quiet tonight. I've just yeah. been listening the whole time. <laughs> I've just been trying to take this all in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is usually why I end up coming around and spending hours with you guys is because yeah. I always get to learn a, few, learn a few things before I go home. Yeah. I, 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 I do have to kind of just quickly touch on and and ask a question here. Now, Andrew, before Terence was born, you spent a little bit of time in Arnhem Land, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that it, oh, yeah, uh, visit there. We had friends in Owen Pelly, as it was called then, Gumbalanya, I think it's called now. Um, you were talking about the Owen Pelly Python. I didn't know anything about that then. Well, when when we went there, Terence was three months old <laughs> when we went out okay. to, to Arnhem Land. It was still, I, I'm not sure the status of it now. If you're allowed to, you can't just go out there. I think it's all sort of all permitted. No, you need you permission. Know. Yeah. So when we, <laughs> probably get people in trouble, but when we went out there, we had friends, two lots of friends that knew separately uh, that living at, at, at Owen Pelly. And um, they just said we were staying in Darwin, staying in Darwin for a little while. We said, "Oh, come come out and visit." And I said, "Well, what about the permits and things?" And the, the friend said, "Oh, you just you just go across the river. What's it called? East Alligator Crossing or whatever it's called, the main sort of crossing yeah. where 
you know, the, most people get taken by a crocodile. We had to time it, went across the crossing, and he said, oh, if anyone pulls you up, uh, just just, uh, just tell – it'll only be Dennis who'll pull you up and ask what you're doing. And if it's Dennis, just tell him you're coming to visit Stephen Norell. So that was our permit. So we just – you know, we didn't have any bit of paper or anything. Just it was going to be Dennis and we were going to tell him what we were doing. That was it. So uh, so we went out to out to there. It was, it was an interesting place. One of the friends is a local mechanic there and he had a um, – Shane, he had a, a little – he had a fully restored Willys Jeep, the uh, the um, you know the U.S. Army Jeep, you know the left-hand drive, and we got to go for a ride. Terence didn't go; he was only three months old. He stayed back in the house, um, but uh, we got to drive out around the sort of it's funny, beautiful. I, I look at it on Google Earth or on maps now, and I think, oh gee, really need to go back. None of the people we know are there anymore, unfortunately, but it would be fascinating to go there. We drove out and just looking at little water holes and billabongs with crocodiles in them. It was amazing, you know, that just a very sort of barren-looking place and then there's the escarpment further in the distance, which is a bit too far to go, but it was just a very interesting experience just driving around sitting propped up like the queen in the back of the Willys Jeep or something like that, riding around, you know, was, um, just looking at everything. I don't... I don't think I had you in my arms. I can't remember. I don't think I did. I think it was just um, I might have had you there too. So you might have got to do that. I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was that was an interesting experience. But had I been in that was a couple of years before turtles for me. But um, had I been into turtles, it would have been a, a whole different trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some of those water holes out around there. Oh gee, and then up on the. In the escarpment, the stuff that's up there, you know, it would have been some cool turtles there. Yeah, well, you would have been you would have been drooling over the over the lizards, I suppose. <laughs> oh yeah, there'd be some, <laughs> there'd be some stuff. There'd be a lot there. of a lot of monitor <laughs> species and stuff up there that I'd love to see. You know, of course, Owen Pelly's are a dream, but I'll put those in the too hard basket for now. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah some, <laughs> some of those monitor species in particular, even some of the little dragon species and stuff that you can find up there, would be really cool and unique. You know, just yeah, different yeah, to the norm. Too. Oh, yeah! Don't even get me started on the geckos. <laughs> yeah. all, the, no, all the velvet and things. No doubt, many species of all different reptiles that haven't really been seen yet That's as right. well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, if you um, you know, talking talking earlier about how you've only just started listening to a few of our podcasts, uh, Andrew. Yeah, I think you'll have to hit up if you want to kind of live a little bit vicariously. You'll have to to check out the one that we did with Matt Somerville recently because he's a excellent oh, yeah, field yeah. herper. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I think we talked quite a bit about kind of herping around the top end and stuff like that. Not necessarily yeah, yeah. for turtles, but you know, if you just want to hear a few of his stories about how you know finding pythons and bits and pieces up there, it was quite quite a good listen. I haven't listened back oh, to that yeah. one myself. A bit weird hearing your own voice, but. Yeah, you know, it'll make a good bit of fun. Yeah, but um, oh man, I'd love to get back up there. I'd love to be able to go and just visit areas that are just so remote. You know, just kind of feeling, you know, not inhabited by people, or you know, there's not kind of like some main tourist highway through an area or something like that. Yeah. It'd be good just to kind of be out in the sticks and enjoying that sort of escarpment country for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, it's a bit of a dream. I've gone straight from school to study, and I've never had a break. So I'm looking so forward to 
next year finishing the masters and starting all my trips <laughs> all the areas oh, that yeah. i want to look at and things there's lots of places that need to be checked out in the yeah. northern well the toll top end queensland everywhere northern yeah territory and, and out across the we'll Kimberley. Say. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah kimberly's high on my list nowadays Mm. Yeah. Anywhere's on my list. All right, guys. Well, this has been an absolute blast. I don't know if you guys had anything else you wanted to touch on at all. Jason, have you got any questions or anything? No, nah, my mind's just like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. I've never it's heard un- Jason be so quiet. <laughs> yeah. I was just listening the whole time. It was really good. Oh, it's only been two hours so. and 15 minutes. Come on. <laughs> Andrew's only just warming up. <laughs> oh, awesome. Guys, thank awesome, you awesome. so much for coming on. I yeah, think I'm going to have to drop around some, some floating plants and a whole bu- bucket of guppies or something as thanks for this. So <laughs> yeah. oh, no. keep you guys yeah, going yeah. for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Find a, oh, no. If you find a random bucket on your doorstep in the next week or two, you know what it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Thanks for <laughs> Thank having us. Thank you so much for coming on, guys. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Nice to meet you, Jason. Yeah, nice to meet you, Jason. Yeah, yeah. you too. Yeah. It's good I'll get to listen to this one, not hear my voice so much. So yeah. like to another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've got the best radio voice out of all of us, though. So you'll be right. <laughs> he does. It's he nice does. and deep. So. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got a face for radio of, too. I'm going to get one of those microphones <laughs> next time. <laughs> well, you're sporting a pretty flash headset there, mate. You're looking pretty swanky. So. Yeah, <laughs> stole it off the 15-year-old who's sitting upstairs wondering how he's going to play his game. <laughs> uh, all, all in good fun. All right, guys, so I'm just going to wrap this up here quickly. Um Feel free to stay around if you want to have a quick yarn after or whatever, but yeah. I'll just say a few thank yous and we'll uh, we'll get this show on the road. All right, guys, so we'd like to say thanks to Eric and Owen and the rest of the NPR crew for having us. If you'd like to contact them, it's best to find them at moreliapythonradio.com and email them at info at moreliapythonradio.com. As far as contacting us in our social media platforms, you can email us at australianherptoculture at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook as well. To see more of what Jason is doing, make sure to follow him on Facebook and Instagram at The Gecko Effect. For myself, you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, and Teespring under Beaches Scaly Beasts. We hope to have you back next week for another episode of the Australian Herpsiculture Podcast. Good night, guys. Good night, guys. Thank you.